Hello and welcome to the Indie Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Usually on the other episodes, this is where the point where they would say, this is where we get in the time machine. Let's go back in time in 20 years. But I had a discussion with management and they basically said they can only afford to send me back to the time of petrol shortages, incredibly hard to get flights and strife in the Middle East. So I am stuck here in late October <laughs> 2021. <laughs> but, you know what? In eight years of the podcast, I don't think anyone has ever actually explained the whole how we do this podcast with the time machine. Because aside from someone stowing away uh, back in back in July, we don't actually do the we don't go to the live shows. We go back in time twenty years ago to a secret safe space that I. That is in no way at Dell's mother's, not because, I mean, it isn't, but mostly because I don't want to have to listen to him yelling at me in Glaswegian because uh, according to Google Translate, it's not a language and I have no idea what he's talking about. But yeah, so when we get back in the time machine, we go back to the safe space of, in this case, this year it would be 2001 and where we have, where we have access to a two- 2001 internet browser which feels like it takes 20 years to connect as well as you know all the mod cons of the time including the satellite tv so we can catch uh in, in here in the uk it'll be sky one watching raw is war and, and smackdown but we are not afforded that luxury here at the at the indie wrestling 20 years ago podcast which is unfortunate because a lot of the stuff especially at the point in time we're doing now doesn't seem to have been captured for any sort of prosperity. Um, I mean, the reasons I've been given uh, range, you know, the, the the most prominent one is is the noise the time machine makes. I mean, I can't share that with you because you know that we don't want anyone hearing that and sort of working out how our technology works. But it makes a very unusual noise when it uh, when it materializes, which is why we have our own separate space that's not anywhere near a line events because you know it doesn't distract anyone whereas the sort of events we'd go to 150 people would notice a noise like that you know that's that's the reason we're not allowed it not in any way because i've hinted that there are other times that i would like to go back to in 1963 although they had some quite jangly new music at the time um would require would draw a lot of attention to us and certain people is 
uh, instead of looking going back into the left, would look down and to the right, and history would be changed, and the Cuban Missile Crisis uh, would have ended up a hell of a lot worse. I don't know how these people are going to get that reference. Um, so I am going to move on and introduce all the people who are going to be joining me today. It's, of course, the usual team. Uh, next to me is, of course, Mr. Billy Johnson. How are we doing today? Uh, yes, wonderful. Can't top that introduction. I do try. And, of course, joining us in the studio is uh, Mr. Daniel DeWitt. How are we doing, Dan? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, that was an intro and a half for, for Adam. But yeah, glad to be back talking about yeah, the stuff we found in October of 2001. Yeah. Um, I mean, this this episode is, is a bit delayed due to various reasons. And to, uh, when you leave me, to think about things too much. I'd say that's what I come up with, but no, there's more. Uh, but before we get into all the hard-hitting wrestling action of October 20 of October 2001, back on the independent scene, we've also got some of the news and the goings on. So, uh, has anyone got any any headlines they want to throw at me? Yeah, sure. Uh, Carry on, Dan. Sorry, mate. That's all right. So uh, first headline I've got is uh, passing of a gentleman. Yes. Um, this is, of course, uh, the tragic news of uh, Chris Adams. He sadly, I say passed. He was um, he was he died in in. In rather quite odd circumstances it seems to be quite a running thing with a lot of the guys from uh world class in that they die young of in strange circumstances and in, uh in chris adams case he was actually he was out on bail um and he got into an argument with a good friend of his and the good friend pulled his gun and and shot him um i mean i've i did do a, a piece about this on the on the Facebook page. Um, there's a lot that could be said about Chris Adams. He's um, I in, in looking into that into doing that obituary, I actually came across uh, a piece that uh, What Culture did um, one of their lists where they talked about Chris Adams, and it, it was not the most positive thing that they could have sort of put out there. But you sort of read some of the things they put it they listed there. And, you can understand where they where they stood um chris adams uh, not only was he yeah a big name in world class he's also the trainer of one stone called steve austin i can hear something in my headphones that's not either of you chaps what's that <laughs> it's Alexa, isn't it <laughs> it does sound like a bit, bit electric yes. oh well. Definitely not me. <laughs> I think something might have gone off on a tablet, uh, mine, but I've turned it down now, so hopefully it didn't come through too loud. <laughs> Alexa does a run in. <laughs> of course she does. 
Uh, so um, while Dan goes to deal with that, so Billy, what what headline have you got for me first? Okay, yes. Um, caught me completely unprepared. <laughs> Ohio King Danielson. Yes. So uh, APW had their annual King of the Indies tournament uh, over, held over two nights. And it was won by one Brian Danielson uh, defeating Loki in the final. Uh, on the way, he defe- he also def- defeated uh, Doug Williams and Spanky. And quite notably, he defeated uh, Morgan Donovan, uh, a name that not a lot of <laughs> a lot of people will probably be familiar with but he is one of the big heels in apw wrestling originally he was penciled in to win the thing but uh apw had a load of legends in uh to honor at the, uh, the start of night two and one of those legends was nick bockwinkle who was so impressed with danielson's work he basically went up to the promoter and says if you don't let this guy go over you're crazy and that is the story of how brian danielson became the 2001 king of the indie or a random thing that is Nick Bonkwinkle of all people to to basically change the booking of that show. It was a, it was a great show and um, definitely if someone hadn't dropped the ball whilst recording it and uh, trying to edit it, we'd probably have a bonus show for you right now. But there you go, these things happen. <laughs> well, that's, that's one of those things that's just going to be lost the winds of time now. Uh, so what what one we got? What headline have we got next? Uh, next headline from me is Steve Cree no longer champion. Yes, I used that headline on on the Facebook page as well. And as John Fogerty yeah got proven in court about back in the seventies, it's not plagiarism if you're stealing from yourself. Yeah, so we are going to go into this um, a bit later and probably it's going to be a running thing for the next two months. Uh, Steve Carino went into the NWA 53rd anniversary as NWA champion. We've been covering a lot of his reign here over the last six months on on the podcast. And he faced off against Hashimoto. That went to originally... Uh, as we will, dis- we will discuss this further down the line uh, when we get to this match. But Hashimoto won by referee stoppage. Um, however, the NWA overturned that decision. The title was held up as vacant, but Steve Carino held on to the physical belt. Steve- Carino then came over here to the UK where he defended it against uh, the Sandman and Johnny Storm for the TWA before facing G- Gary Steele at an NWA Hammerlock show where he actually lost to Gary in a TLC match, uh, meaning Gary technically is the first two-time British-born NWA champion. Although two days after that, the NWA announced that they didn't recognise any of Carino's NWA title matches as NWA title matches, and as a result, weren't recognising Gary Steele as the current champion, and the belt got held up. Um, very confusing stuff, as I'm sure you'll agree. But like I said, we will go into that when we get there in about an hour and a half's time. Uh, hi, uh, Busa. What else? Out of the FMW. Yes. Uh, 
very un- unfortunate event in Hayabusa. Uh, at the end of at the end of the month, uh, he was attempting a moonsault, and he landed badly. He broke to his vertebrae, and he's confined to a wheelchair at the minute. So he, it doesn't look like he will be be returning at any point. Um, and unfortunately, as the top FMW guy, it's uh, it's going to be sort of tough times for them. But it also means there's less chance of Billy Johnson making me watch any more death matches, <laughs> at least from that promotion. I mean, obviously, <laughs> obviously, it's it's uh, it's not great for the Japanese wrestling economy because. Uh, FMW is quite is arguably the third biggest brand they have over there, and by quite a margin. Uh, although they why that I they're not um, a type of wrestling I I watch I've regularly knocked it here on the podcast. It's um it it's a, it does draw for them and draws very well, but Hayabusa is is seemingly uh, the straw that stirs the drink. Drink, um, as he is their biggest draw, so it's a case of can they survive without him? Um, and can they can they find someone to fill that spot? Well, uh, he was like the handpicked uh, successor to Onita, and um, obviously he's been on on a tear in that promotion within the last three years. Um, well, sorry, six years now on top, and um, yeah, it's um, quite a, a genuine shame. He's uh, obviously inspired a lot of indie wrestlers that we watch here. Loki would be one of them with his offense and uh, everything. So it's just a just a shame that 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 man's career is over. So what, what have we got next? Next next up is XPW explodes. Yes, quite sadly, not literally, <laughs> but XPW. W's Halloween in Hell 2 drew over 4,000 fans in California, and it was highlighted by a King of the Deathmatch title um, for the vacant championship uh, vacated after the Messiah uh, got excommunicated from XPW, which we did cover a couple of months ago. Uh, Supreme defeated Vic Grimes, and I did actually watch the finish, and yeah, odd. For a low-budget promotion, that that was certainly an exp, uh, an impressive explosion they put out there. Um, it was. Uh, it looked to be. Am I correct in saying this was like a minor league baseball stadium because it looked quite open air? Um, yeah. Any uh, word on that? I, be, I believe it was like a a bullfighting uh, arena basically, and uh, yeah, I, I think it's good for XPW. They were able to draw four thousand fans to go and see basically just an explosion um you know like like you said adam it was pretty good pyrotechnics that they did did deliver on that score and uh also on the show you had the return of the sandman and uh yeah unfortunately he he went down to johnny webb um at and vampiro was also involved in that match it was a freeway and um yeah xpw it might um well, his owner might send assassins after it's former talents to go and chop their fingers off. But um, yeah, no, they, they've done really well there. But good for XPW. You're, you're talking about an event that may or 
might not have been perpetrated by Rob Black in nine months' time. So if it ha- if if any proof comes up that they're connected, we we may discuss that. That that's very August <laughs> show. Ball fighting right now. I I would quite happily have had the whole place burned down. Um, <laughs> I I feel we should move on though. I think we should, yes. <laughs> so finally, um, uh, do we have do we have any more? We do have one more, and it is WrestleWeek Express. Express comes off the tracks. Yes. Um, so the, since we started this podcast, we've been talking about all the comings and goings of the latest promotion in the UK in 2001, the Wrestle Express. Now, the last month or so has been a turbulent time for them, in part because uh, with the way air travel, air, air travel even has gone down in in the US. It's getting very hard for them to to get anyone to fly over. And on uh, on the first of this month, there was actually a press conference. Uh, and the, basically, the outcome of that press conference seems to be that TWA have taken on the Wrestle Express name. They've uh, they've booked a lot of the original talent, uh, and they held show on the same day albeit they didn't have it in coventry they they moved it down south down to dagenham where where about four or five hundred people turned up it's believed around two thousand people bought tickets that's that was a rumor the original promoter apparently he took out um a hundred grand loan to try and put this thing together and and basically he he didn't learn the art of negotiation because whenever anyone quoted him a price, he would pay. He would promise the money at that price. Whenever you do anything, whether you're the depending, regardless of what side you're on, you have to be prepared to negotiate. And basically, this guy wasn't. He paid him. He paid full whack. And experts are saying, even if they'd have sold out uh, the Coventry Sky Dome. With the sort of money that these people were charging and what he was looking to do, he was looking at a 30 grand loss easily. So, uh, Wrestle Express as a separate promotion is dead and done with from what it seems. The London Arena show, that that's not happening anymore. Um, and TWA have the name. Um, it's up to them what they do with it. They did. They did, like I say, run the Dagnum show, which we'll, we will be discussing shortly. Um, but yeah, all. But oh yeah, we'll go into we'll go more into this. Um, yeah, in about forty minutes' time when we discuss uh, the Wrestle Express matches. So, um, do we, does anyone have anything else to say on on any of the news that's that's come out this month? Uh, no, nothing more from me. Okay. Not much for, more for uh, more for me to add, really. I think we've uh, covered all the bases, and uh, yeah, go and check out the King of the Indies shows. 
yeah i've <laughs> it's, it's unfortunate those of um those didn't go ahead because that's actually because where we were looking at um doing those shows separately i've actually completely restructured all the all the matches i've, I've picked for this month um but so let's but let's go on to to the matches that have been picked for this month and let's let's start with um let's start with with the match that the, that the viewers chose so uh of, every month we of course do do a poll for a few days we each pick, pick a match and you our listeners can choose which match is heard so uh Uh, you, you, this is what you get for leaving me bored for several days. I, I start. I. Anyone who wonders what goes on with the um, Wrestling Twenty YRS Patreon, you're you're going to hear it throughout a lot of my reviews. I feel. Um, so this month, what were the? Let's go over the choices. So, you two guys chose uh, HWA Invasion matches. What were the two? matches you chose over to you first dan so i can desperately go through my notes uh likewise <laughs> sorry it's been a while since i picked it <laughs> uh, adam remembers <laughs> um sorry for as well i know it definitely had steve bradley in it <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is the best show ever. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely. Hey, Rory, I hope you're having fun editing this. It's just going <laughs> to... It's just going to be a long slide down from here. Uh, yes, so, yeah, my my pick was uh, oh. the Young Dragons of Jimmy Jimmy Yang and Kaz Hayashi versus uh, Steve Bradley and Steve Blackman. That I know it had Bradley in it. I can't remember. Um, Lash Rue was in it. Crush was in it. It was a six-man tag. I've, I've, oh, yeah. I've got, so, yeah, I've got your pick. So, it was uh, Brian Adams, who, yeah, still around despite Unforgiven 2001. Reno and Lash Rue versus Ray Steele, Steve Bradley, and Val Venus. That was your pick. Save there, Dan. Thanks for the save. Not a problem. Not a problem. <laughs> But alas, neither of those were victorious. <laughs> Damn! Why does no one care about? No, it... Steve Bradley has no <laughs> chance here. It clearly, clearly not one for the for the people. Uh, so no, it's instead we went with uh, um, Alex Shane versus Little Guido. This <clears throat> came about. Um, the match happened in in the end of August, but uh, due to the fact I'm I'm doing it in the chronological order of FWA TV, this wasn't broadcast till the first of October. So on Alex's uh, Wrestle Talk radio show, he had some harsh words for Jasmine Sinclair, who is, amongst other things, uh, the other half of of for the Blue Mini and the Blue Mini took offense to this uh he was supposed to come over and have a match with with alex shane but but for reasons that didn't happen however jasmine sinclair did and with her she brought fellow ecw alumni little guido uh and so 
yeah, we we got this match. Um, arguably, I think we can all agree a better match than we would have had had the Meanie turned up. Although it possibly not quite as fun. So uh, yeah, let's 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 get on with this. So we have Alex Shane out first. Uh, apparently, one of the ladies accompanying him is, is from uh, the Big Brother One series. I don't know if that interests you. I'm just trying to be thorough with my play-by-play. Not thorough enough to make a note of her name, though. But I I do have my limits. So little Guido comes out and the crowd reacts, but the audience. It seems like a slight delay as he's about halfway down the ramp before the pop happens. However, you can see the crowd reacting as he comes through the curtain. Now, Guido is accompanied, as I said, by Blue Meanie's other half, Jasmine. Apparently, they're representing ECW. Uh, bearing in mind this was filmed in August, six months after ECW folded. So Jasmine uh, is whispering something into Steve Linsky's ear, and he demands Mr. Blonde and the rest of Alex Chain's security guards are sent to the back before the match starts and we go to a break to come back from the break the security are on the ramp but before they head back alex whispers something to mr blonde's ear he stays at the top of the ramp while the rest of security go backstage now jasmine points this out to linsky that he's still there as guido and alex trade the yay boo thing on the turnbuckles blonde is sent back by linsky and the bell rings the match starts big alex sucks chance and chains while he argues with the crowd this leads to a chant of that's a fake tan as they tease a lock up to start shane forces guido to the corner from a lock up but guido ducks a strike takes alex down and rides him shane switches up and paint brushes guido who then reverses it into a cross arm breaker alex rolls out and they're in a standing full nelson guido attempts to reverse out of it but winds up somehow still back in the full nelson guido elbows out shane windmills a clothesline but catches guido and takes him out uh, sets him up for the one night stand. Uh, Guido tries to sunset, flip, reverse out, but Shane goes uh, to drop on him, but only for Guido to move and him to hit the spot on the mat where he was two seconds earlier. Uh, they trade cover attempts. Uh, Guido misses a clothesline without windmilling, goes for a backslide, but Shane flips him over. Guido misses a drop kick, Shane misses an elbow, and they have an indie standoff. Sadly, that's not the last time I will use that term this show alex challenges for a test of strength but to allow guido to reach his hand has to kneel down while guido is thinking about it shane nails him with one shot to the bread basket and throws him into the ropes but guido comes back and takes him down with an arm bar shane rolls out and guido is sent into the ropes he goes to springboard off into a head but gets dumped out onto the ramp while shane distracts the ref mr blonde appears and nails guido with some stiff shots before sending him back into the ring shane Shane slaps a, chip, slaps a chin lock on while Mr. Blonde hides under the ring. Guido fights up. Shane windmills a short arm clothesline but connects with a thrust kick that leaves Guido doubled over on his back. Guido is thrown out the ring and Shane stamps the floor, which is a sign for Mr. Blonde to work Guido over some more before throwing him back into the ring. Instead of covering, Alex picks him up and throws him into the rope where he windmills another clothesline that Guido turns into another arm bar. Shane is Tapping, but his feet are in the rope, so Guido has to break. Chop fest ensues. Uh, Shane ducks one and hits a choke bomb for two. Shane locks on another full Nelson and Guido. Where reversal attempt is turned into a face buster for two. Guido is thrown again in for more punishment from Mr. Blonde. Back in, Shane chokes Guido in the corner. 
Jane slams him but misses his twisting top rope leg drop. Guido hits the twisting DDT and rolls Alex out the ring before stamping the mat. Mr. Blonde comes out, but before anything can happen, him and Jane no, both get taken out by a suicide dive from Guido. One of Alex's girls comes into the ring and goes to choke Guido, but this brings Jasmine in for a cat fight. The guys separate the girls and Jasmine hits Alex with a low blow that gets Guido two from a schoolboy. Sicilians slice up from Guido on the ramp and back in the ring. Shane gets several drop kicks square in the face. Shane reverses a whip and Blonde is there with a chair. One night stand picks up the wing for Shane. Guido tries to argue his case with the referee as the show goes off the air. Right. Before I go anywhere with this, if there are any indie wrestlers listening, stop fucking windmilling your clotheslines. It looks ridiculous. It's more so here where you've got Alex Shane, who's six foot seven, and Guido, who isn't. If you're going to clothesline <laughs> someone, fucking do it. If they're supposed to duck, let them duck. If they don't duck, Fuck, it's their own stupid fault. It irritates me, it looks stupid, and it exposes the fucking business. Now, that's out of the way. What did we think of the match? <laughs> <laughs> oh, good shit, Adam, good shit. <laughs> um, What's worse is it, it just comes up again in, in the next match I do as well. So it's one of the troubles with me choosing this match was as soon as I, I saw him windmill that first clothesline, I was like, oh, just because of the height difference, I'm going to have to mention this <laughs> you, you definitely shot on it mate i think i think if any indie wrestler is listening to this then maybe they'll they'll heed your advice <laughs> as for the match itself um first off it was great to see the gangbang queen uh jasmine st Clair at ringside um yeah, I, I, I didn't i didn't bring that up just just everyone notice right <laughs> I just thought I'd, I'd, you know, just say that. <laughs> it was good to see her at ringside. And um, what was it? The big brother girl? It was like Anna or something. I can't remember. That was like a lifetime ago. Over 20 years ago, so quite surprisingly. Uh, as for the match itself, I did like the stuff where um, Mr. Blonde um, was being summoned to sneak attack Greedo with uh, Shane stumping on the... Ring mat, I actually kind of liked that shortcut. I thought it was good. Um, didn't get as much heat as I thought it would. Uh, match itself, uh, you know, pretty simplistic match put together. You know, um, Shane working with a guy that's a little bit more experienced than him and um, he made his shit look good. And uh, yeah, no, um, pretty decent um, match to have here in the UK. And um, hopefully Alex Shane... Uh, learned a few things or two from uh, little Guido, apart from the windmill clotheslines, obviously. Yes. Yes, Guido didn't windmill a clothesline. Shane ducks a Guido clothesline, and I don't. I did not see Guido windmill that. You know, again, Shane is six foot seven and still managed to duck it without Guido fucking having to windmill it. But this this is going to come up again. I feel so. I'm. Uh, yes. Move <laughs> on. Uh, did it, uh, did we watch the whole episode? I mean, the whole because pretty much the whole episode was de- dedicated to this match because you had the promo at the start. Did did, did we have any thoughts of uh, Jasmine on the mic or you know hold, uh, holding that sort of shape? Top was that was that causing any flashbacks for 
you, Billy? <laughs> uh, no, because I didn't watch the entire episode. <laughs> I just watched the match. <laughs> yeah, me, me, me neither. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's, um, fair. that's fair. That's <laughs> fair. Oh, <laughs> yeah, when I, when I watch this match, I I always forget how big Alex Shane is. I mean, and it was very very uh, obvious when compared to Guido. And then yet, Desmond Sinclair was a bit of a bit of a surprise to me. I mean, I was kind of looking out for me for Blue Meanie, but yeah, as you said earlier, pleasantly surprised we got Guido instead. And yeah, I think this match was was good. Yeah, good pace to it. I mean, as to be expected from from a little Guido match but yeah Alex was, was definitely sort of keeping up with him uh, at points in it and yeah that um Mr Blonde under the ring spot was was an innovative way to sort of get around the being sent to the back but then still having him interfere so yeah that that was all good and um and then the, the finish at the end yeah with the it was it the the chair shot into the into the finisher there was a good way to sort of um, keep some heat on um, Alex Shane being the dastardly heel who escapes with the win, even though he's much bigger and shouldn't need to resort to those tactics. And yeah, good for Guido to put over the, the local heel, I guess. But yeah, all good. Okay. Um, I just realised I've closed the page that, I'm, that I've got the match listing on. Um, so if, if <laughs> I will try and vamp here, well, this is completely not, isn't it? So so now. <laughs> is, I I didn't start drinking till this show started, so it's I can't even blame it on that. Uh. <laughs> so next up, we are watching. We are going to discuss. We are going to discuss something that happened in Australia. Because um, they have wrestling too. Uh, but no, so we discussed it in the news, I believe it was like last episode or the episode before, but some of the old WCW guys uh, put together a little tour down in Australia. And they put the the show before last uh, was the biggest show. It was in, it was in Sydney. Uh, so they taped that show and did it as a pay-per-view, which we'll go into shortly. Um, in fact, let's let's just go straight on to the match that, uh, that, that Billy has picked for us. Uh, so, Billy, what, what you got? So, yes, uh, I decided to pick uh, Psychosis versus Juventud Guerrero in a ladder match. It was uh, for the vacant WWA International Cruiserweight title. And also, it was a part of the first round of the WWA Heavyweight Title Tournament. Uh, this was basically the second match on the show. The, the show actually opened with a very dull Bret Hart promo. He doesn't really say much apart from he introduces the heavyweight title. Anyway, back to the ladder match. Uh, the Juice uh, immediately comes out and talks about how it's great to be back in uh, Australia. Unfortunately, he isn't as pilled up or fighting imaginary fans in a hotel reception this time, which is a bit of a shame. He cuts his uh, juice promo and uh, inserts his, obviously his name and the town. And basically it's his uh, one pound version of The Rock. 
So you can already pretty much tell that Vince Russo has definitely had a hand in some of this show's booking. Uh, both men start with a lockup, then trade chops. Both men go back and forth, then psychosis nails Hoovy with Tittlewell Tornado DDT. Both men fight to the outside and use the ladder on one another. It's all very fast-paced stuff here. Uh, Hoovy sets up the ladder on the second rope and nails psychosis with it. They trade some more chops as psychosis begins to wear a crimson mask. Uh, bleeding in the first match. Wow, already. It was... Uh, Quite a blade job there by Psychosis. Psychosis sets up the ladder in the corner, then gives Hoovy a slingshot into the top rope. Hoovy is draped across the top rope as Psychosis sends up the ladder and comes off with a big leg drop off the top of the ladder. Psychosis points at the belt and sets up the ladder, but Hoovy springboards up to the top rope and drop kicks Psychosis off the ladder. Hoovy stomps and kicks at Psychosis's head, then Hoovy goes and grabs the second ladder but gets caught with a baseball slide by Psychosis. Psychosis throws the ladder down onto Hoovy, then Psychosis sets it up in the corner and goes to Irish corner and goes to Irish bit but counters it and Psychosis hits the ladder it and head, head the ladder then falls over and down on top of the referee and Hoovy and Psychosis both climb up the ladder and trade punches then Hoovy gives Psychosis a sunset flip powerbomb off the top of the ladder. Hoovy quickly recovers and hits Psychosis with a 450, climbs up the ladder and grabs the title and is the new WWA International Cruiserweight Champion and advances to the semi-finals well, sort of of the WWA Heavyweight Title Tournament. Uh, basically, this was your typical ladder match with all the spots you'd expect from these two. I've seen much better, and even from these two, if you didn't even add the ladder stipulation to it. But they added the ladder stipulation because, of course, this is a Vince Russo show, so it's got to have a stipulation. And damn it, you would have plenty more stipulations added to matches on this show. I get it. On pay-per-view, there is time constraints, but given an extra five minutes, this could have been actually something pretty decent. but. You know, they completely rushed through this match. And that was a bit of a shame, in my opinion. Uh, what what did you think of it then, Adam? Um, to be honest, when I saw Hoovy and uh, Psychosis in a ladder match, I was, I was expecting uh, something closer to the, to the match I'm going to be going over soon um, from Wrestle Express, But... I mean, I, I thought, you know, they actually grounded it a, a better than, than I, they actually did like a more grounded ladder match than I was expecting from these two. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm guessing, I'm guessing to their detriment as uh, who, who broke his ribs, so he was unable to, to go forward in the tournament, so they had to replace him. Uh, what a replacement we got there. Hmm. I mean, this this whole show is uh, something. I I'd say interesting, but that'd be lying. <laughs> um, you know, you know what's weird about about this? I've sort of, if you look into the history of WWA throughout the tour they did leading up, they actually crowned a hardcore uh, cruiserweight and a heavyweight champion, and then they just vacated them all on the morning of this show. 
<laughs> just like. <laughs> and the thing is that the person lost. The person who, so you had Jarrett beating the Road Dog, who was was the champion, who was the heavyweight champion up till that morning. You know, get Hoovy winning here against Psychosis, who was the champion. And then you had the hardcore title was never brought back, but you had uh, Norman Smiley against I'm I'm blanking on it now, but it's Crowbar. But that mate. was the unfortunately Crowbar. <laughs> crowbar. Oh, Devin. But yeah, they they battled previously for the hardcore title, like the, sh- the show before or something. And then they just like, no, we're vacating all the belts. <laughs> but when you realise it's it's Vince Russo booking in it, and it's like actually no, that 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 yeah, exactly, no real that, surprise there. That then, tracks perfectly well. Well, don't worry, I, I've got a blow for blow account of this entire show, all all written down, and I, I'm going to go through it all. It uh, just after Dan gives us his thoughts and opinions on. It's wonderful <laughs> opener. I yeah, like you say it was it was it was a decent enough sort of ladder match. Yeah, it could have been could have been a little bit longer. Um, it did feel a little rushed, but even that said, with the with the rushing, it, it wasn't like it was a complete sort of uh, botch fest. I think most of the spots went went off sort of without too many sort of errors. I think there was one where Hoobie jumped off a ladder and it didn't quite sort of go the way it should have done but that being said it it could have it could have been a lot sloppier and a lot more dangerous and i know you said that said that uh, hoovy got injured but i mean and psychosis with the early sort of uh, blood spot there but um yeah i thought it, it thought it was, it was fine and the finish with the with the 450 by uh by who was 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 good. I mean, I'm surprised they didn't sort of go for a bigger spot. Then, if if who was injured, then I guess that was sort of maybe called on the fly to just sort of do a, it was sort of a standard type finish. And yeah, I mean, it's fine. I'm not sure why it had to be for a title if they're in a title tournament, but hey, that's Russo and stuff. And uh, yeah, just before you get into the view of the whole show, one question on that whole show is: was the was the commentary going out on the PAA system? Because it definitely sounded like it was. Like, yeah, I think it was because it, 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 it sounded it just sounded so odd that you could hit that it sounded like yeah the crowd could hear uh, Paul Ash and Lawler calling things. It's just a very odd sound mix to it. But yeah, decent enough match though. Yeah, a lot of people seem to think that commentary should be played in the in the arena, and no, it, it's I've had this discussion with people it's like oh yeah that sounds that'd be a brilliant idea in this case of it sounds like a brilliant idea but in practice it's fucking horrendous not because it just sounds weird which it does but if you've got commentary team calling say a heel cheating and the referee doesn't instantly turn around you've just buried your referee it's yeah it's, a, it's, it's very which odd. is one of many reasons why they just, why they don't do it because uh, we know like i know like a lot of sports games over in america they do actually do it but then again you don't see many people in baseball openly cheating um and you know i mean you can't all be the australian cricket team <laughs> <laughs> okay that, that joke's either 18 years too early or two years too late <laughs> Okay, I, I might as well run down the rest of this shit show, shall I? It was WWE Inception. It's taped pay-per-view. 
the Nitro Girls, oops, I mean the Starettes dance. Then it's straight to the back. Rove McManus, an Australian comedian, and Nathan Jones arrive. Run into the West Hollywood Blondes, Lenny and Lodi, and the West Hollywood Blondes insult their fashion choices. Immediately into another vignette, Disco Inferno complains he needs security. Oh, the payoff to this will just be tremendous. Uh, Conan comes out rapping, and thankfully you can't hear a word of it over the PA system. Rojog, who is uh, super over, uh, does he stick on the microphone that Conan immediately cuts off by attacking Rodog. Conan then mocks the children of all ages stick, then makes fun of Dog saying his three other friends are still employed, but he isn't, then tells him to suck it. This is a dog colour match, so, you know, it's pretty terrible. And it's all under four minutes as well. And you have to touch all four corners, so you know there's going to be a screwy finish. And, of course, there is. Conan tries to use a crowbar on Road Dog. Then Dog counters it and nails him. And then he hog ties up Conan and touches all four corners. Should we just move on? That was absolutely dreadful. Some girl is shown bending over. Then the camera cuts to a... Basically, a man's package, which is makes Lawler revolting, revolted. It's the hardcore match up next. Screaming Norman Smiley versus Crowbar. Crowbar. God awful hardcore match that went too bloody long. Got to avoid that one. Some stagehand gives Disco his security guards who turn out to be. Well, they called them the fruits, but it was the bananas in pajamas. Yep. You watch that cartoon, you know who the bananas and pajamas are. They're actually large bananas who wear pajamas. I don't know what the payoff to all this was, but that's what it was supposed to be. It was announced Juventud Guerrero had pulled out of the tournament due to broken ribs and replaced by a mystery wrestler. There's a battle royal up next, and it involves Buff Bagwell, Disco Inferno, Stevie Ray, Norman Smiley, Crowbar, Jerry the King Laura, Jeremy Borash. Referee Mark Slick Johnson, and of course, those bananas in pajamas. More nonsense, more comedy. Crow, uh, Bagwell goes over. Rover McManus and Nathan Jones promo. McManus insults the lady interviewer, and that's about it. It's a guitar, pole, guitar on a pole match, so you know Russo's booking this because there's a pole involved, as it's Jeff Jarrett versus uh, Nathan Jones, who's with Rover McManus. McManus grabs microphone and calls. Uh, Jarrett a puffter you can tell it's 2001 and says Jones is going to slap Jarrett's nuts all over the ring what followed was a simplistic match which didn't stay out stay as welcome Jarrett picks up the win quickly by using the guitar and rove and then gives Jones the stroke to pick up the win more dancing from the Nitro Girls I mean the Starlets Joe Laura runs well runs off uh He'd run off earlier after the bananas in pajamas and then comes back after the Jones uh, Jarrett match and calls out the fruits as they called them. Lenny and Lodi are immediately out because, of course, they're gay characters. So, yeah, even worse comedy. Uh, Jerry says he has all four fruits in the ring. Lenny and Lodi say no one wants to see two fruits. <laughs> they come to see Lenny and Lodi as the crowd then calls them wankers. Lenny says that they are as tough as Chopper Harris. No, no you're not. Bret Hart comes out and puts uh, an end to this horrendous segment as he books Road Dog versus Lenny versus Lodi in a freeway. So Lenny and Lodi are replacing Hoovy. 
That match is up next. Hell of a lot. Didn't hit here. The finish fell flat. No one cared. Road Dog hit. Both are downed Lenny and Lodi with a shake, rattle and roll. Knee drop for the win. Straight shooting. Stevie Ray interviews Beth Bagwell. Beth proceeds to cut. Terrible promo announces the match stipulation for his and Jarrett's match, which is going to be tits, whips and buff. Again, I don't know what that stipulation is, but hey, that's the next match. Jeff Jarrett and Buff Bagwell. Basically, it's a bunch of scantily clad women at ringside who have belts. Lawler is absolutely ecstatic about all of this. And they basically whip Jarrett every time he's thrown out to the side of the ring. Uh, the finish sees Buff nail Jarrett with a blockbuster, but the referee doesn't acknowledge it. As it was one of the starlet, uh, starlets who made the count. In the confusion, Jarrett recovers, nails Buff with a stroke. Then referee Mark Slick Johnson returns and makes the free count. Up next is the Black Wedding match. It's Luna versus Grand Grill. Grand Grill. Oh, I've checked out this point as Luna and Grand Grill hit one, one another with a variety of wedding, wedding gifts. Grand Grill picks up the win over his wife and nails her with an impaler DDT. Up next is a four-way and skins-to-win match. It's basically a bra and panties match. And uh, one of the contestants in it is a man who they call Sharon A. Wad. The other three girls are Adora James, Queen B, and Bellic Tarosi. That really didn't go anywhere. Uh, Adora James ends up removing Sharon A. Wad's dress to pick up the win. Andrew McManus comes out to ringside and hands Jeremy a letter, which Boras reads and announces Medusa is coming to bring her man to WWAW. They kill some more time with the Starlet's dancing, which is interrupted by Disco Inferno. Disco said he should have been in the main event, and then says he got screwed by the two fruits. The crowd chant, Disco is a wanker. Disco calls out the fruits. They come out. They work over Disco, and they brawl. The brawl ends up on top of the cage because the main event is up next and there's a cage match. Disco throws the fruit off the top of the cage to the outside, and one of the fruits falls through the table. Bret Hart joins Jeremy Borash, Jerry King, Laura, and commentary for the main event. Finally, it's your main event of this absolutely god-awful show. The steel cage match, and it's the final of the WWE. Heavyweight title tournaments, Jeff Jarrett versus Rojog. This match really didn't need to be a cage match. Uh, both men climbed out early on. The commentators had to tell us you could win by pinfall submission, basically devaluing the stipulation in the process. Brett, Brett Hart added nothing on commentary as he just seemed disinterested, refused to answer some of the King's questions. Jarrett bled heavily, at least, and at least he was the only one that was trying. There was a referee bump, then Jarrett grabs his guitar, nails Road Dog in the head with it. Jarrett applies a sharpshooter, but Brett told the, the referee not to ring the bell, but and Brett refused, basically. Jarrett there was furious. Then another referee bump and a low blow. Road Dog applied a sharpshooter. Brett did the same. Refused to let the bell be rang. Saying you need to win the belt the right way. Just can we finish this goddamn show already? Brett grabbed and went to leave. Well, grabbed the belt and went to leave. Road Dog grabbed it off Brett back in the ring. A distracted Road Dog walked into Jarrett's stroke. And the winner in the new WWA heavyweight champion of the world, Jeff Jarrett. Afterwards, Jarrett and Hart begin to argue. While Borash and King said Brett Hart was a bitter old man and resentful of Jarrett. Okay. <laughs> then Brett takes down Jarrett and applies the sharpshooter on Jarrett, which was an odd way to end the show. 
but I'm sure it sent the crowd home happy. Gentlemen, did you enjoy oh, that, two hours of, of hell? <laughs> Enjoys a strong word. Yes. It's. I've I, I, endured it. It's, I did sit through this, yes. It's something, isn't it? <laughs> Jesus, this was a, a oh, terrible last debut pay per view. <laughs> just made me so angry. I've. Uh, in this promo at the start of the show, Bret Hart tried to make out that he was really the true champion because he never actually lost the WCW or the WWF title the last time around, which is arguable. Um, I mean, okay, he, he didn't lose the WCW title, but the WWF technically, it's it's a match. <clears throat> Moving on from that, he's saying basically whoever he awards the title is the true champion of wrestling, which is really weird considering the person who the the person who Jarrett beat was the road dog who up until 12 hours earlier had held that title. (laughs) I don't know. This, I'd say this show makes my brain hurt, but I've watched enough Russo booking to kind of get a feel for it. It doesn't make it any better. Um, this is I mean this is almost the level of anger I felt when I did uh, the July 1999 uh, episode for the WWF and they had a Rock versus Triple H cage match that made me so angry I refused to watch any of the shows after that till about eight hours before we had to record Um, because I would have swung for someone because it was another Russo book show that I looked that I watched and was like this is just burying everyone here and the, the ending of that cage match was just so oh. I mean most of this at least it's forgettable but there was just something about that cage match that just stuck with me and not in a good way yeah I saw a lot of WCW 2000 in the past so, well last year for the for the main show and this didn't feel out of place amongst those at that being said, this was probably worse than than those as well, even though it featured quite a few of the same cast. I think it's Chris White. Isn't it Chris White who says, um, if you're going to be bad, at least be interesting? And this was... Yes. And this, this was, was neither? I mean, No, this was just bad and boring. Yeah. I'm glad we didn't watch it in full. But yes, this was... Yeah, no, I've, I've, I, I think this one's an easy miss. Um, but hey, they're coming to Wembley Arena in, in December, so who's up for reviewing some of those matches? That, no. <laughs> you know, December's a quiet month. Uh, <coughs> uh, right, I mean, do, do we have any other comments on, on the WWA or shall we move on? I just really hated that show and I don't really want to say anything else about it apart from I wasted okay. two hours and 30 fucking minutes of my life. Ah, <laughs> uh, Well, moving on uh, from a two and a half hour show that Billy regretting, regrets watching to a three hour ten minute show that uh, he may or may not regret watching. I'm sure I will hear about it very shortly. 
Uh, so we are going to talk about the Wrestle Express, uh, which we have been. I was, you know, what it, it would have been the most terrific thing if, you know, after six months of talking about this, we just did not cover this at all. But no, we are going to endure this. We are going to. Uh, I mean, in in fairness, I think there were some high points on this show. Um, it didn't quite have the same sort of lineup that was promised, uh, as I stated before. Uh, the with the 9/11 attacks, air travel uh, got, was very un, was very uncertain. So a lot of the act, a lot of the wrestlers, uh, and a lot of the staff, like Bischoff and Ono and everyone, uh, wasn't pre- prepared to fly. And then when it changed from the original promoter to the TWA, the TWA weren't prepared to pay the money that those guys have been offered anyway. So, yeah, so, so the Wrestle Express crew um, ended up only having, uh, I believe it was five imports instead of... Uh, let, let's bring up the... I've got the original card for, that was promoted for, for Wrestle Express. And let's... So this is so this is the card that was announced on the 11th of August. Um, there was a special guest referee match uh, with a mystery referee, which featured Kurt Henning taking on Steve Carino. The first ever Wrestle Express champion was going to be crowned in a fatal four-way, no holds barred, falls count anywhere hardcore match with uh, Hot Stuff Steve. Knight taking on the anarchist Doug Williams taking on Kerry Cabrero taking on the Dominator there was going to be Conan versus Vampiro there was going to be Juventud Guerrero versus Psychosis there was going to be a triple threat TLC tag team match with uh, a team from the US in Joey Matthews and Christian York taking on uh, Dragon Kid and Magnum Tokyo from Japan taking on Jody Fleisch and Johnny Storm from the UK. There was going to be a women's match where Medusa was going to take on an opponent that would have been announced at the press conference at the start of this month. Uh, there was a Great Britain versus Japan match with Mr. William, who we discussed, I believe, back in the July or the June edition of this show, taking on Seema. Also booked to appear that wasn't on that list was also Eric Bischoff's Stevie Ray, Jimmy Hart, Terry Tate, Dave Penzer, Ross Foreman, Mike Tomei, Pleasure, and I believe others that I don't have on my list in front of me. Instead, uh, the card ended up being slightly different. Uh, I just realized I've not, that's one thing I've not got in front of me for this one. Um, <laughs> So the card ended being in a five-on-four match, Skull Murphy, the UK Pitbulls, and Thunder took on Adam Angel, Flatliner, and Paul Terrell and the Castanos. Uh, that's right, there were five baby faces, but if you compare the size of uh, the Castanos, they're probably about the size of uh, Bulk's legs, so it does even out. The, the heels definitely have the advantage. And then once that match finished... Uh, uh, the survivors of that match had another elimination match. 
Uh, Drew McDonald took on Horace Hogan. Uh, interesting story in uh, when the original promoter of Wrestle Express was looking for big guys to put on his show, uh, Steve Linsky su- uh, suggested Drew McDonald. So Drew McDonald actually uh, uh, cancelled uh, a couple of bookings he had this week to take up to take the money for this show. Uh, and then the promoter saw him and was like, oh, I don't know if I really want this guy. So Linsky got got Drew on the phone uh, and said, yeah, Drew, mate, it, it doesn't look like he's going to he's going to want you for this show. And what exactly happened next has been lost to history. But Drew said to Linsky, put that cunt on the phone. And what exactly has been said, like I said, no one knows for certain, but the promoter's face turned white and he and Drew McDonald ended up back on that wrestling card. Sounds like the most Drew McDonald thing I've ever heard. <laughs> so there was a, it, it's yeah, exactly, it's exactly what you'd expect for a Drew McDonald story. Uh, so there was a TWA uh, title tournament, which featured Doug Williams, Kerry Cabrera, Robbie Brookside and Guy Thunder. There was a six man tag from the FWA Academy guys with Andy Simmons, James Ty and Mark Sloan taking on Jack Xavier, Paul Travell and Raj Gosh. I have no idea who that last guy is. Um, as a tag team match, which saw Earthquake and Justin Starr take on Flash Barker and Klondike Cates. There was an... Uh, Steve Carino fought the Sandman in what was at the time sanctioned as an NWA title match, but has since been retroactively yeah has been uh consigned to a non-title match the uh so big T- tiger steel took on skull murphy uh for those who don't know big tiger steel is the fifth import on this show um, and i i i have no idea who this guy is and also a full count falls count anywhere match with alex shane and scott parker and the ma- there it was of course the match that we're going to discuss right now that's the tables ladders and Cares match between Johnny Storm and Jody Fleisch. Um, so, without further ado, I will skip ahead and I will stop. Ah, wish me luck, fellas. This is gonna. These guys worked hard and fast, and my notes are pretty extensive. So, Johnny Storm comes out first, grabs the mic, tells the crowd they can kiss his asses. He is the best. Your Patreon dollars at work, ladies and gentlemen. So Fleisch comes out next. And the smart fans in the crowd are on their feet. Uh, the announcer states that this is a TLC match, but is still regular fall to a finish. I'm guessing the person who explained to the promoter what TLC match was, was the same guy who explained to the designer of SmackDown 2 what a TLC match was. Because it plays out exactly the same. So... Uh, bell rings both windmill clotheslines to start and go through a series of whips and reversals at great speed johnny goes for a german but sweeps jody's legs for one jody responds in kind for less than that more trips lead to them flipping and an indie standoff now this second time i've written that and i feel that given the age of these people uh given the age of the people doing these indie stand-ups wcw breaking up the rock and roll express in the early 90s has a lot to answer for both pose on the turnbuckles for the crowd, but Johnny catches Jody with a dropkick as he turns around and he beats him out the ring and sets him up for a flipping 
senton that the crowd popped big for. Johnny poses on the buckle to a mixed reaction after this. Jody crawls into the ring. Johnny chops him against the ropes, goes for a whip, but Jody rolls out. To, and drop toe holds him onto the rope before following him with a spinning heel to kick. Johnny backdrops Jody, but he lands on the apron and hits a springboard drop kick to the back that sends Johnny to the floor. Uh, Johnny searches under the ring and pulls out a tea tray of all things. I guess it hasn't been stated what the tea in TLC stood for. I mean, tea trays, ladders, and chairs. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't like, have the same ring to it. <laughs> Johnny slides in, but Jody nails him in the head which makes the tea tray fly out the ring he brings it back in to place it on the fallen johnny but as he climbs the ropes and he goes for a shooting star press but johnny moves because his jody flies he lands on his feet like a cat anyway uh johnny unaware of this gets spun around and nailed with a tea tray leading to jody catching him with a sunset flip johnny gets out of this with a tea tray shot to the head i never thought i'd write the words tea tray this much in a play-by-play for any wrestling match the amount of use this thing is getting i can obviously see t tray ladders and chairs being a ticket seller as long as they have two of the best ring ring workers in the world doing it um <laughs> unfortunately i say best in ring workers in the world they still windmill their fucking clotheslines johnny <laughs> sends jody in for flapjack but instead just hits a low blow maybe the t stands for something that it's legal to hit i don't know before another t tray shot jody rolls out to the ring and johnny poses uh john Jody back in the ring and hits a top rope spin kick too. The crowd start chanting for tables because apparently they're blissfully unaware that T has been covered well and truly and they should be guessing what the L stands for. Camera out of position uh, to see if Johnny windmills another clothesline, but it catches Jody with a big sky high for two. Uh, thumb to the eye into a Michinoku driver gets a holy shit. I've written shot, but I think that should be shit. I, uh, I should also probably drink less when I write these. Um, Springboard corner moonsault gets two. Jody whips again as Johnny windmills some more before Jody slides under, hits a whip of his own, and sends Johnny out of the ring with a kick to the back of the head. Uh, as Johnny composes himself, Jody hits a standing shooting stance on the outside. Uh, Jody wanders off and goes to find the ladder. Uh, Jody puts the ladder up against the buckle and Johnny springboards off it to drop kick Jody off the apron back in. Johnny climbs the buckle behind the ladder and splashes Jody with the ladder. Johnny sets up the ladder, Russian leg sweeps Jody and hits an odd-looking splash off the ladder for two. Uh, Johnny slingshots Jody onto the ropes and punches him to the outside. Uh, Johnny has the ladder leaning up against the ropes and begins to walk along it. Uh, Jody catches him and crotches him on the frame of the ladder. Uh, uh, Jody goes to whip Johnny into the ladder in the corner, but Johnny reverses and Jody catches the ladder with his head sending him to the outside. Jody Sets up the ladder in the ring and jumps off the ladder, springboarding off the ropes into a seated sent onto the outside. <sighs> Johnny drags Jody back in and throws him into the ropes, but he comes back with a rana and looks ready to fire up. Johnny reverses a wheelbarrow into a slingshot suplex of sorts. The, the crowd wants tables, so Johnny pulls a chair from out under the ring. <sighs> I'm telling you people, tea tray, ladders and chairs. <laughs> Johnny ties up Jody in the ropes and Stands on the apron, swinging shots at him as Fleisch kind of slides to the mat. Johnny climbs to the top of the ladder, hits a flipping leg drop uh, where Jody had been lying just a moment earlier. Uh, chair shot gets two for Jody. Moonsault from Fleisch is missed. Johnny goes to drop the ladder on him, but it bounces off the ropes instead. Johnny hits Jody in the corner and hits a ladder 
assisted basement dropkick. Back on their feet, Johnny windmills another clothesline. Jody tosses it in the chair and spin kicks it straight in his face for the RVD chant. Jody puts Johnny in the corner and sets the ladder up on him. Jody takes a running leap off the chair and drop kicks the ladder into Johnny's face. A second attempt gets Jody a full face full of ladder and rolls out. Johnny sets up the ladder as the ramp in the corner and charges up it, hitting a chair shot to the outside. They fight into the crowd and the camera follows them as they do stuff that can't be seen too well, but the crowd seem to enjoy it. Jody makes it back into the ring and drags a table from under the ring. He goes to set it up in the ring and camera is shaking like a leaf. Camera is fixed and the ladder and the table have been set up in the ring. Oh, sorry, Moonsault hits. Oh, sorry, Moonsault. This is Johnny Storm. Johnny climbs the ladder in the ring. Johnny goes for a springboard and Johnny ducks. I think all I know is Johnny went over the ladder and the table causing the crowd to chant, Jody's dead. That that, that spot really didn't go over as well as I thought it was. Um, but he's not dead enough to stay down for a three count. I know that much. They go through a series of reversals like they started at the start of the match and ends with a standing lion salt gets Jody for uh, a two. Jody's whipped into the ropes, but throws Johnny into the top bunk as he sp- yeah, springs off with a reverse Rana that gets two. Jody turns a powerbomb attempt into a DT for two. Johnny throws Fleisch to the outside, but lands on the apron. Fleisch springboards off straight into a powerbomb for two. Jody gets a drop toe hold onto the buckle and they hit the table piece, but still sick, kick out at two. Wheelbarrow suplex gets two for Johnny as he starts to get frustrated with the ref as Joey heads to the apron and springboards off the ropes for the 720 DDT and the victory and everyone is on their feet and out comes Dino Scarlo who throws Johnny to the outside a face buster to Fleisch and Scarlo Fujiwana's his arm and drives it into the table in the corner followed by a spear through the table that admittedly would have looked less impressive had it been into a tea tray Johnny is back in the ring and the refs are checking on Fleisch um just to clear up, so Dino Scarlo has just cropped up on, on FWA TV uh, as a problem solver, as you've just heard from the sound bite there. And um, and Jody Fleisch has just come back for severe elbow injury, which is why uh, the Fujiwana armbar and why he was driven into the table using his, his bad arm. Um, but this really isn't explained here because Dino has nothing else to do on this card. Uh, the only thing it does is keeps continuity for anyone who made it up from Portsmouth to to watch this show. Uh, aside from that random side, what, what did we think of the match? Yeah, I, I thought it was, I thought it was okay. Uh, I was expecting like just a continual sort of spot fest throughout, being as a TLC and, and TLC is sort of quite quite new, like following X uh, Mania X Seven and. And so, so yeah, I, th- I thought it'd be more of more of a spot fest. But to be fair, I th- there's much more um, just standard wrestling involved, which I thought would I think helped the match. And like the spot, most of the spots they did sort of seemed to flow. They, they wasn't they wasn't sort of too contrived about sort of setting up ladders and doing sort of sort of fancy elaborate spots involving the the ladders and tables. It seemed to be sort of a, a decent flow to it. Um, yeah, the post-match stuff, I didn't sort of have really sort of followed FWA, so I didn't really know much about it. And it kind of sort of sullied the match a little bit for me, but at least it was a post-match and not like a, a interference to 
result in the decision of the match. So at least they saved it till then. But yeah, not bad at all. Um, one little point that sort of made me smile was the um, the referee. Like he's very deliberate three counts. Like the old sort of an old school ref they had in there for a match that he's probably never seen before. Yeah. Yes, the, the referee quality on this show fluctuates from match to match quite drastically. Um, anyone who follows me on Twitter will have seen the other night I actually, uh, over two nights I did a watch through of this whole show and I live tweeted it and it was very interesting. I'll go I'll go more into it in a minute. Um, Billy, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, good match, solid match. You what you expect from Jody and Johnny, you know, they each know each other so, so well. Um, the stuff with Dino Scarlo at the end, uh, I, I, by this point in the show, I'm sort of not paying attention <laughs> to that sort of stuff going on. But, you know, it, it, where this match was, it was placed perfectly fine because, you know, the re- most of the stuff that I'd watched leading up to it wasn't particularly great. Uh, no, again, can't knock it. I can't find anything wrong with it. And um, yeah, these two will certainly have a, a few more great bangers going forward, won't they? Yeah, yeah. This, um, I mean, they're still doing this stuff to this. Yes. This day, and this is twenty years later, and they're they're still trying to keep, you know, a comparable pace, which is you know quite impressive in itself. Um. So, so you, Dan, did you did you enjoy? You know the the three hour plus event that that we had here. I'm being honest. I didn't I didn't get around to watching the the whole thing and um yeah I'm not sure what I missed out on really if I'm being honest. Uh, I mean yeah I probably might go back and watch the the TWA tournament matches and like I said this match was fine but yeah from what from the rundown of you, what you've given I, I'm not sure if I'll if there's anything else worth watching but. Uh, that's up to maybe you've got some recommendations for me. No, I'll, I'll, I can do a quick rundown. I can do a quick rundown now. Um, I mean, there's for anyone who does want to watch this show, there's there's two different versions. There's one on the FWA Files YouTube uh, channel, which is literally just um, the footage of the camcorder. And the, the TWA have a Gucci channel, which also has this show up. But they've tried to play around with it. They've tried, they've enhanced uh, the visuals. Um, unfortunately, it's still the same camcorder footage, uh, but they've brightened it up. They've thrown some graphics in to try and make it look nice. And they've brought in uh, a young Jake Pugh, who's a, a good friend of mine. Uh, he's done a great job as, a, as an announcer. Uh, it really does help the show flow. He's, he's got like... Um, a traditional sort of world of sport era sort of announcer voice to him and it it really especially with some of the older school matches it really does uh, uh it does make the show flow a lot better um but yeah i mean that, that's an issue that's definitely an issue i did have watching this footage is but obviously where uh the original wrestle express was supposed to be like a pay-per-view and a tv deal they supposedly had uh tv cameras in place obviously that didn't come down to the, to the twa show so they've literally just got um a camera set on a tripod at the back of the bleachers which um unfortunately the angle it's at 
you can see just how many empty seats there are they were expecting over 2,000 people and only 500 showed up and it showed um, also uh, where the guy holding the camcorder tries to unfasten it from the uh, the tripod at times it stops it, you miss some of the action in some of the matches uh, I think one of my tweets was it feels like a Kevin Smith film uh, I don't know if anyone is familiar with the clerks guy but yes. <laughs> any action scenes in his films tend to happen off camera and some of these matches there are points where they have that because you're looking at the bottom corner and it's all happening in the top corner and you know it's happening in the top corner but you can't see it because the guy's not shifted the camera properly um although he does he does have a great angle on the uh on the balcony dive in the alex shane match i'll, I'll give him that um yeah it's just a shame that there isn't for the for some of the matches it's a shame there isn't that um i mean the the four and five elimination match which uh is won by Skull Murphy, Bulk and Thunder at the, the start. It, you watch that and it's a case of, okay, this is completely different from what we were promised. Uh, this is definitely more of a family show. This is not an internet, this is not aimed at the internet crowd. It's it's very sort of holiday camp-esque. And it kind of flips between the two from there, I feel. Um, although Skull Murphy did really impress me in the, in the short amount of time he had in that match. Uh, and of course, he won the Survivor Elimination match afterwards. The Drew McDonald Horace Hogan match was an interesting one for me um, because the smartphones in the crowd uh, started chanting ECW once at the moment they got out the ring, which is like the most ironic thing to be chanting in a match like that. But at least, even if they were enjoying it ironically, at least they were enjoying it. That's I can't fault them for that in any way. Um, and it's I found it funny how one just happened to have a kendo stick on hand to give to, to Drew McDonald's, um, despite the fact Horace Hogan was the baby face here, which is an interesting choice. I mean, it, it says a lot about um, if they were giving out, if they were protecting people who are important, you know, you, I listed off all the imports that were supposed to be coming in for the show. And the ones they felt all right flying were Horace Hogan, John Tenta, Steve Carino, the Sandman, and Big Tiger Steel. No offense to Steve Carino or Earthquake, but I I think they've pretty much figured out. Uh, they've got a good sense of who's more important and who isn't. Also, the Knights were supposed to be on this show. Um, Zebra Kid, Ricky Knight, uh, and Sweet Soraya and Jimmy Ocean were supposed to come down, but um, something happened and they didn't make it down, which I think. Uh, is why a couple of the guys work twice. Um, but yeah, the, the uh, tournament matches weren't bad. The Doug, Will uh, Doug Williams defeat Kerry Cabrero, uh, and Cabrero announced his retirement, which lasted about as well as every other wrestling retirement does. Um, his actual wrestling retirement, um, if we're still doing this in 16 years, might cause some interesting conversations. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, if if we even remember it happened, um, there was a six man tag match between the FWA Academy guys, which I don't really have a lot to say. Um, the, uh, Robbie Brookside took on Guy Thunder in the other semi 
final tournament match. Her guy funds were coming off a, the back injury that kept him out the EWW show last month. And he doesn't really do a lot after this. Um, it's I think you can kind of sense he's not quite at full pace here. Uh, like I said, he also had uh, the tag team match after that with Earthquake and Justin Star, where they defeat Flash Barker and Klondike Kate. Uh, then I'll, I think I did. Did I, have, did I have an interesting tweet about that one? Yes. Uh, just that, well, just that um, Earthquake looked, Earthquake actually did look in the, probably the best shape I've seen him. Uh, he was still quite, because where he went back as Golga in the WWF a couple of years before, he was quite slim. He st- he hadn't put any of that weight back on. He still looked quite good. And you still, and then he stands next to Flash Bark and you still realise he's pretty damn huge. Um, and then you had the NWA title match that wasn't a title match that somehow involved loads of weapons despite not being a no DQ match. Um, with the finish featured the Sandman going for a swanton onto a table. Carino moved and the table didn't break. Um, which is about the point I, I kind of dozed off around this point, which I think is when the interval started. I I think it I don't know whether it was alcohol induced or not, but my body just went it's interval time let's call it a night um skull murphy came back for the first match after the interval uh and lost a big tiger steel by disqualification um in a six minute match i think after having to carry ha- having to carry the first two matches of the card i think he started charging uh scott conway by by the minute which is what why this match ran so short. Uh, we, the next match was originally going to be the match I was, was going to review for this, which is the Falls Count Anywhere match, which was Alex Shane taking on Scott Parker. However, they do have a very similar match in six months' time, and hopefully that will make it to a bonus show. Um, so I figured I would, which is why I went with the TLC match. Um, and the, the British Heavyweight final uh, was Doug Williams taking on Robbie Brookside, which I was, I was really hoping hoping would be something but ended up just being a big smoz finish as the fwa guys came out and started a new school old school feud that only really worked if you followed the fwa tv but even then this match none of this was going to end up on the fwa tv so it was an interesting decision on the part of both the fwa and the twa to do that here um i mean what what did you think about this Really, how much of this? How much of this has stayed with you in the month since you've watched it? <laughs> uh, to be perfectly honest, Adam, not a whole lot. Um, I watched it in about four different settings. I couldn't watch the entire show. I, I really did try. I really tried, but it got to the Drew McDonald Horse Hogan match on the first night, and I, I was done. That was enough for me. Um, I really liked the six-man tag, which isn't surprising you know it featured some guys that i'll become very familiar with um within the next couple of months uh over the years where you know because uh, it was the fwa academy guys it was good to see jack xavier i haven't watched him wrestle in years so it was great to see him again um apart from that it was it was good to see earthquake um like you said adam he looked, he looked incredibly trim he looked pretty decent and uh 
Carino Sandman match. It was what I expected, really. Um, the Alex yeah, Shane. There's no other got, way. Yeah, you, you just expect <laughs> them to sort of do that. So I, I get why it existed, and the, the crowd was really into it. The Alex Shane Scott Parker match was actually quite decent, and I'm not really that shocked because. Like Alex Shane can do pretty good walking brawl matches. He, he, he actually would come into his own doing those kinds of matches like down the years. Uh, but the main event of Doug Williams and Robbie Brookside, um, it just really wasn't for me. Um, I've seen them have better matches um, in Hertfordshire. So, <laughs> but you know, good show it wasn't the worst in the world but it's not one that i could sit through for three hours and ten minutes in one sitting over the four sittings i would say it was good but in one whole sitting i think i would have got bored very quickly and i've lost concentration yeah they, they, there is a lot of stuff they could have cut from the show um i mean one of the another aside is what uh i think it was last month i mentioned that eww was going to potentially stop running at this point because the dominator had been signed full-time to wrestle express <laughs> um and of course that didn't happen now uh no quite notably the dominator was one of the uk names announced that didn't that wasn't on this card um now i i didn't know Stu back then but i knew i know Stu i knew Stu like five ten years ago and if 20 years ago he was anything like he was 10 years ago um the fact that the promoter the original promoter of wrestle express has been able to give interviews is a fantastic ringing endorsement of the quality of the nhs dentists we have uh, so um unless anyone else has anything to say I'll, I'll move on to the next one yeah sure so, so last month I started watching the IPW Hardcore TV, which is an interesting experience. Um, I've it's had some high points, it had some low points, and it has some interesting gimmicks. Um, so I, I feel, you know, my love for this has inspired you somewhat here, Dan, with with your choice here. Do you want to? Do you want to? It go has, but yeah. So uh, yeah, so over to over to St. Petersburg, Florida. Not for the last time. We will be coming back here very shortly. In, yes, in, uh, for, for will... your for your pick. Yes. So as you mentioned, here yeah, from St. Petersburg, Florida, in the excellently named Wrestleplex. <laughs> arena a brilliant name to say the least but uh, maybe arenas building up a bit too much it seemed just like a, a, a bit of a, a general hall that had a, a few hundred people in but that was about it but yes on to the match itself which is um snow versus stormtrooper versus the excellent name and the reason i picked this was on adam's recommendation of devin nash that's devin not kevin and uh, Finally, uh, IPW TV champion Pat McGroin, another brilliant name. 
in a uh, in a four way match for the IPW TV title. Uh, YMCA plays as uh, this brings Snow to the ring, sporting a sort of Adrian Adonis type vibe. Uh, Stormtrooper, as you'd imagine, comes out in army fatigues. Devin Nash comes out to the Wolfpack theme. Uh, I'm surprised they got away with that, but I mean, no one was really watching, so no one was there to sort of sue them. So sure, why not? And Pat McGroin in a silver singlet. Quite the array of looks we've got between the people in this match and some of the guys on the outside. Uh, this uh, four matches uh, in the format of two men in at once and tagging in rules rather than all four. Oh, and- you missed out oh. the best bit. It's not, you've not you've not t- said the name of the guy that, that Snow came down with. Snow was accompanied by a wrestler by the name of Phil Acio. Oh, brilliant! No, I di- I didn't catch his name. I just, I, it, I, I don't. But yeah. Oh, you, did, you didn't you didn't watch the TV episode, did you? You just watched. The, I literally just watched the match. The yeah. But, um, no, it's. OK, I'll, I'll go into this with you later. It's um... Sure, sure. But yeah, I can't say I'm surprised with, by that name based on the other the odd gimmicks we've got here. But yeah, as I said, it's it's two in the ring rather than all four. I, pro- I probably would have preferred it to be all four, all four guys in the ring at the same time. But here, but nevertheless, that's the tag in rules is the match we've got. So uh, Pat and Snow start go behind by Pat, but Snow sticks out his bum, and, and because he's the Adrian Dollis type character, Pat backs off. Doesn't want to get involved in any, any of that. Um, headlock by Pat, but Snow bites him to escape. Shoulder block attempt by Pat failed because Snow is a 400 pound guy, and then, then Snow hits one of his own and takes Pat off his feet. Uh, Nash and Trooper both tag in, and they tie up. Sorry. And Trooper hits an elbow off uh, Irish Rip for two. Nash then with punches and a kick to Trooper as he gets four up with a hip toss and chops in the corner. Pat then tags himself back in and hits more chops to Trooper before Trooper fires up and gives Pat some chops of his own. Pat throws Trooper into the turnbuckle, tags in Snow, who also drops Trooper. I think everyone's just attacking Trooper at the minute here. Um, and then brings um, Troopers in, brought out by Snow with a snapmare. Nash and Pat then tag back in. It's seemingly tagging in and out just kind of freely with no sort of real sort of uh, momentum in this. They just sort of tag in, do their spots and get back out. But nevertheless, let's carry on. Um, Pat hits a, hits a knee and a slam to Nash and then goes to the top rope. But Nash slams him off and then Locks in a, a stretch on the onto Pat. Um, Trooper then sort of Trooper Nash up tagging back and forth, but um, Pat gets up and hit um, uh, I rakes uh, Trooper and then hitting a running back elbow for yet another two and slam an elbow drop for two yet again. A rolling sent on this time by Pat for a near fall, but Trooper fights back with some punches before Pat throws him to the outside. This brings Snow back in to face Pat, and after some back and forth, Snow hits another shoulder tackle, takes it down Pat. 
uh, for a two, but Pat getting gets back up, attempts a sunset flip, but again, as I mentioned, Snow being a 400 pound man doesn't go anywhere, just sits down onto Pat and gets the three count to win the title. Um, the, now I know his name, the, the aptly named tour. Phil Aceo then comes into the ring to celebrate with Snow and hits um, a stick base on Pat to get him out of the ring. And this was just, yeah, a bit of a bit of a mess in all, in all, in all uh, honesty. Okay, I only kind of picked this because um, sort of leading up to this, Adam had mentioned the, the guy called Devin Nash. So I was intrigued enough to see what he see what he was about. He didn't really do much sort of Nash isms really in the match. I didn't really, he wasn't really involved that often. But um, yeah, no, as I said before, no real flow. It was kind of flat. So. Sorry about this one. This was a bit of a bit of a letdown, in all honesty, for me. You guys, what did you think of this? Well, Dan, I normally uh, like to insult your match selections, and but this was actually a lot of fun. <laughs> really? You think so? I, I don't know. Really uh, enjoyed this. Maybe it's just the guys' names and um, everything, like. It, I, I'm just giggling from start to finish. It, it was so bad, it was good, kind of way. Um, oh, I guess so, yeah. I guess it was indie-rific in, in the in the oddness of it all. I, I, I like Snow's costume. That was uh, pretty awesome. And, uh, yeah, thanks to Adam for filling me on, filling me in on who's, uh, who he was with, Philatio. Um Yeah, great, great stuff. Um <laughs> Devin Nash, he did the the hand raise at the beginning. I was a bit disappointed he didn't flick the hair or anything like that. Because, you know, that is like two of Kevin Nash's moves, I would assume. Um, but no, um, a lot of fun. So it was it was good to have a, a match like this because we've had a, a lot of serious, um, good high spot wrestling this month so far. So it was, it was good to break it up with a little bit of comedy. I mean, if you, if you yeah, want... That, that's true. I could, I could, let's 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 put Pat McGroin and Phil Acio in a sable. You can put them in with, with Bendover, Phil McCracken, and God. I'd be freely. <laughs> damn it, it's, I forgot what the fifth one was. <laughs> oh, Paul Harder. Paul hey, Harder. That was the fifth one. Paul Harder. <laughs> so, have Pat McGroin and Paul Harder. Oh. <laughs> but yeah. But yes, they. I like how, you know, the person who won the match was like the wor- worst wrestler of the bunch. He was. Oh, yeah. Quite uh, a distance. But then again, well, he, I guess in a way he was the most over in a way. He had, he's, he had sort of the more fulfilling gimmick. The, the, the crowd seemed to be, well, the crowd, the few people that were there seemed to enjoy what him and Phil were doing. So fair play to them. They went with the, the populist vote, I guess. Well, um, it, I mean, it, Going by the episodes, um, I don't know if it was a, the same event or a previous event, but Philatia was in a tag match and he, he lost and his partner turned on him. And Snow was the one who came out to do the save, which is why they're paired up here, because um, apparently they were they didn't get on until this point. But, you know, he kind of came out and saved him because it was the right thing to do. And so, yeah, that's why the crowd are into Snow, because, you know, they're like, oh, it's the guy who saved Philatio. Um so yeah, I think that's why yeah the, the crowd are quite into him here. But yeah, um, I, I, I 
must admit, I've watching the last couple of months of the IPW Hardcore TV. I'm kind of into it. I, I will go more more into it later, but I part it even got me watching the main event of the NWA 53rd anniversary show. Um, but yes, we'll discuss that. That will be discussed uh, later in the podcast. Uh, but I mean, to be honest, as, as a match, I don't remember a lot about it, and I've sat and I've watched it through twice to try and, and really, other than the fact the, the worst person, what it and apparently I'm surprised Devin Nash wasn't featured more, considering he's the guy who actually edits their TV show. So you know, I wasn't you know just you know <laughs> go back and edit it. So you know he he appears twice as much in the ring. You know. He, you know the fact that he's on pretty much every episode um but you know he has he could he could really really sort of go over the top with the matches because they they on the tv show they cut some of the matches down anyway this one i think pretty much made it through unfazed but some of them there there are blatant edit points just to trim it down to tv time So I, I feel um, unless there's anything else anyone wants to to say about that match, we should uh, we should move on to a to a differently prepared TV products over over here in the UK. Um, so in in the last sort of six months, I've been watching through the FWA TV that's been airing on my channel in uh, sorry my TV in in Portsmouth. And they've actually come to the end of their, they're only scheduled to do a 13 episode run. The first six, they did the first seven episodes, which was the tournament, which we've talked about. And then those episodes were repeated. And then they started the run from there. And so they've ended on episode 13 and they're going to repeat the 13 episodes again. And then they'll start a new series, which is weird because it means that all the stuff from January is not going to air till August. So I'm going to have to really think about how I'm going to do my FWA coverage from here on out. Um, one of the feuds, well, the, one of the main feuds that's been flowing throughout the 13 episode run is La Familia and the New Breed, which is uh, for the tag titles. Uh, La Familia quite early on defeated the New Breed for the titles and the New Breed have been chasing them since. It's, made some tv um the quality of it depends on your opinion of the new breed um but yeah so they had their big blow-off match on episode 13 uh episode 13 or the main event of which was johnny storm versus doug williams for the fwa title uh originally that was going to be my pick for this one however um as some of you may have seen on my twitter i before the day before i listened to poll close i decided that um the outcome of the poll was going to decide what matches i picked and you decided that you didn't want to see any hwa tag matches so i'm giving you an fwa one instead um which is uh well which i will run down for you right now so uh like like i said this is uh coming from the broadcast of the yeah my of the my tv episode so the match actually starts as soon as the intro finishes literally i don't even think the bell makes it uh, onto the camera 
So uh, Jorge Costano is straight in with a headlock on Ash. Jorge switches it up, whips him, drops down with a strop toe hold. Second lock up. And Ash takes Jorge down, rides him and grabs an arm. Ash stands like a surfboard before dropping an elbow. He then grabs the wrong arm in an arm ringer and tags out. Out as Curve drops a sledge on the arm. Uh, Curve keeps with the wrong arm and tags Ash back in with a, with another sledge. And they work the arm uh, until Ash can transition to the right side or left side or however you want to look at it. Uh, Alex Castano tries to save his partner, but nothing happens. Jorge drops Ash with a back suplex. Uh, suplex on Ash and he gets thrown to the outside while Jorge distracts Curve uh, and the round. Alex Castano throws Ash into the barricade. This is followed by a slam on the floor and an offside moonsault. And the ref has finally gained some control in the Newbury corner. Uh, with Ash back in, Jorge drops Ash with a neck breaker and after a two count tags Alex in. Uh, Ash reverses a whip but gets taken down by flying his head scissors that gets two. Ash tries to fire up in the corner with some strikes but eats a tornado DET and is only saved by Curve. Uh, Jorge is back in without tagging and hits a double under hook suit. Duplex into sharpshooter to locked in on Ash with some help from Alex. Uh, tag and a double clothesline gets two. Alex gets another two off a of moonsault. Ash finally shows some life with a set out power bomb, but doesn't have the energy to make the cover. And Jorge breaks them up. Jorge locks Ash in a front face lock, but Ash fights and drops him in the Newbury corner with a slam before tagging out. Uh, the Newbury hit a rather wafty-looking rolling thunder second rope uh, second rope leg drop combo and. Curve decks Alex off the apron. Jorge backdrops out of something and works over Curve in the corner. La Magistrale gets Jorge a two. Jorge hits a suplex and tags Alex, who gets a two off a splash. Curve nails a clothesline and tags Ash back in. Jorge gets knocked off the apron, but gets revenge by cutting Curve off before the breed can hit the rather originally named New Move, causing Ash to get rolled up for two. Uh, Ash rolls out while the referee is distracted trying to get Jorge back into his corner and someone who looks a bit like Ash slides in hits a sidewalk slam and uh, on Alex and covers while picking up the win he then slides Alex he then slides out and rolls Ash back in the ring so Ash can be handed the title by the referee and yeah that that's as far that's as much of this match as airs on TV um third man was a guy by the name of Cruz who was in the new breed for all of a few weeks, I believe the next main show the FWA do. Uh, there's a triple threat where the loser leaves the nudry breed, and that's Cruz. And he sticks around for a, another couple of months, but nothing really happens with him. So, uh, hey, what, what did you guys think uh, of this as a match in a, in a major feud ender? Any thoughts at all? Yeah, no, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, I like the Castanos. I think they're, they're a, a good sort of combination. You've got sort of the high-flying on one part and then a sort of technical guy on the other part. So I think that's a good sort of tag team combination. New Breed, I'm not as big a fan of them as as the Castanos. I think they're, they're fine, but but not, not really sort of, didn't really sort of have that sort of that standout sort of factor to me. But yeah, I, th- I think it's a... a good match i mean the hot tag i think build was a bit sort of flat and didn't really sort of work work for me but um i like the um the finish though with the sort of 
demolition style sort of introducing a, a third guy and yeah the almost kind of twin magic type of finish as well with the yeah, the new guy coming in hitting the spot and then covering his head so he doesn't get identified until after the the pinfall and that kind of uh, made me think that the few should continue really more because of this sort of screwy finish so when you mentioned that this was the it's sort of the end of the feud. It's a bit of a shame, really, because you kind of built there to a to a way that they could continue it. Because yeah, having maybe they would could do some sort of like a cage match where the so the third guy couldn't get involved, or there's some sort of additional rules, or the um, the Castanos could get their own sort of third guy have a kind of a six man tag, albeit for a tag team title match. Just do some sort of way that you continue it. So yeah, shame that we're not going to see see another match between these two again. Like I say, well maybe I'll look out for the Castanos in the future because I think they they stood out to me as a, a team to watch. But yeah, good pick. Yeah, definitely for me personally, I, I thought oh this isn't a, a feud ender, but um um you know uh, with the finish and everything going on um i didn't i didn't think it was a feud i thought they were building to something else but like adam said you know it this was the, the end of the feud um again solid in-ring stuff nothing really fell flat like the finish was i thought it was prolonging something but it didn't so um i'm, I'm not up on this era of fwa but a little bit more like from late 2002 onwards would certainly be my era of fwa so it was good to go back and watch some of this stuff from here and um i was i was another good pick and it was it was a, a solid um solid match really it was a solid match but that's about it let's let's yeah. be honest i mean like i said this was to be like the big feud ender and i think it i mean the location didn't help it was blatantly in a in a school gym because you could see the uh, gym equipment on on one of the walls there, um, and that I don't know that that kind of killed it for me. Um, I, I main reason I I chose it is just because of watching the FWA TV. Yeah, I just wanted to talk a bit about the new breed because um, they're an interesting team. I, I noticed it's interesting what you what you said uh you you've said about them because they're trying to get over his faces by being the most unlikable people in the room um, yeah and it's and they're and they're only succeeding at it because they're just paired against heels most of the time um i don't know how much the fwa tv you've seen but they do like the they have this segment called new breed tv which is literally them in the most bachelor pad looking bedroom um with uh you know some posters on the wall of 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 films you probably won't catch at the prince charles cinema you probably have to go over to to soho to you know catch those showings um and they it's literally just just them reenacting stuff that's happened from the previous week with action figures it's like (laughs) this is not it's not the sort of thing that makes you want to go oh yeah this is a baby face team I like it's like well, no these are uh, a group of whiny man children um I mean 
uh, to be fair, the new breed segments they the way they do them they they work. Ash particularly is is not bad on the microphone, um, like which almost makes up for how terrible he can be in the ring. Um, weirdly, Curve who uh, retired a couple of years ago is he actually is pretty damn good in the ring um they but on the microphone he can only do certain styles um and in the new breed segments it's as the lovable idiot which would be endearing if they weren't just so unlikable um i i mean if any, anyone's disagreeing with any of my points feel free uh, uh but yeah i mean the they did like some backstage segments with the commissioner a few episodes before this but they're it's obvious who the drama school student is and it's neither of these guys um the only positive thing is they were better than the manager that they paired uh the castanos with at the start of this series who was so bad that when the new breed uh breedinated him let's say double van damme which would look really cool if it wasn't for the fact it, the ring is half the size of a WF ring. Um, basically wrote this guy off TV because he was such a horrible actor. But, I mean, I I do want to kind of follow Curve more as he goes through and becomes Phil Bedwell because he had cause they have some great stuff. Um, I mean, Ash is still around on the, on the scene. He, he's currently under his real name, um, possibly uh to try and distance himself from these segments um i mean have you has anyone sort of what seen any of the segments in some of the episodes i've, I've sent you guys no sorry sorry i haven't no but um i know what you mean about the new breed not exactly being the the nicest of faces yeah i say as i watched this match i can't say i was enamoured by them or drawn to them and then your description just there of them being sort of whiny kind of almost like teenagers and stuff it's yeah not sure they approached it the right way <laughs> i mean some would argue that you know they they play perfectly to the fwa demographic um really yeah, johnson is someone who watched an fw who watched the fwa not long after this but would you say that that's a fair comment on my part Hello? Hello? Billy's on mute. Just the why. Sorry about that, chaps. It's, everything's gone wrong on this episode, hasn't it? Everything that could go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, right, so we're going to try that again, Adam. What did you say to me? <laughs> so I said, essentially, I said that uh, I believe the, the only reason the new breed were over be playing the sort of whiny man children that they were is because you could argue that the fwa at that point was probably uh, attract 
backing those sort of people. So the fact, so I don't think it's outside of my remit to say uh, the fans probably saw a bit of themselves in the in the new new breed. I was wondering, do, do you disagree with that being someone who who followed the FWA not too long after this sort of period? Not not really. No, I, I would certainly agree with that because um, yeah, a lot of their fans were. Um, like you say they were and I, I can't say that at that point that I was probably like them as well <laughs> so, dead on assumption there of them Adam well I, I like to be I like to try and be accurate with uh, with the stuff I throw out uh, But yeah, um, I mean, I agree with what you guys are saying about how it, it is kind of, it does seem like they did kind of leave this kind of hanging. I mean, they did, the only other interaction I believe they have on a main show after this is like a big tag turmoil match uh, in which neither of them are champions and neither of them win the match. Um, so yeah, this, but in the same vein, I, I was not a fan of this match. I like I said, I was originally planning on covering Johnny versus Doug, um, but uh, the the fans wanted to see, didn't want to see your tag matches, so I thought I'd offer them a different one just to just to change it up. <laughs> so um, yeah, unless anyone else has anything to add to that, I'm. It's uh, time to move on to the, to the final big show that we're covering of the month um we've got two matches now coming from from this show this is uh the nwa 53rd anniversary show uh as we mentioned as we mentioned earlier it, it takes place at the uh, wrestleplex in st petersburg which is the home home arena of ipw hardcore who at the time were doing an invasion thing with uh with the nwa which uh, we'll come to in a minute. Um, so yeah, before we before we go to the matches, does anyone have anything they want to say about about this show? Um, okay, so I, I watched most of this show and there was an awful lot going on. Um, an awful lot 17. of matches as well. <laughs> Seventeen. <laughs> yes, far too many yes. for my liking. Um, a lot of them went under five minutes or over five minutes just about but the ones i would definitely pick was uh hot stuff hernandez uh taking on kevin northcat this was the nwa national heavyweight title uh, it was about 10 minutes long and uh, it was just good to see hernandez and uh former tna or soon to be tna red shirt red shirt security member kevin northcat just good to see two guys um that I hadn't seen much of in 2001. At that point, they're still very green, but you know they they gave it a good go uh, at the amount of time they got. And uh, it was also the NWA Tag Team Title match. Uh, the new heavenly bodies of Chris Nelson and Vito Danucci. I haven't seen Vito wrestle before, and I was a big Between the Ropes uh, podcast listener back in the day. So it was good to see Vito um, there, and they took on Total Destruction. Rusty Riddle and Sean Royal. But obviously, the real reason I was there was for the match that I'll be covering in a second, 
as well as the NWA title match, which Dan picked, obviously, because he's the NWA guy. Uh, as for the War Games match, the less said about that, the better. They used a lot of guys they'd already used on the undercard already. And, uh, yeah, um, far too many bloody matches, but there was a few standouts there. Um, again, it was one of those shows I couldn't watch entirely all the way through in one sitting, but it was only two sittings for this one. So I guess it's a bit better than Wrestle Express. <laughs> I, I, I've only watched four of the matches, so you know it's you're, you're considerably up on me on this one. Yeah, uh, I would definitely say don't sit through all seventeen. I will never ever do that ever again. <laughs> but yeah, let's let's go on to the on to the first one. Um, yeah, so so you picked this one. For many historians, just give us a quick intro in this one. Yes, so for many historic reasons, I've picked AJ Styles versus Christopher Daniels. It's their first ever meeting. Obviously, um, they did meet one another about a week or so later at the King of the Indies um, tournament. Uh, That was a really good match, and this was their first ever match. And um, obviously, this feud, AJ Styles versus Christopher Daniels, will reach... um, Great levels uh, come 2004 and through to to 2012 in TNA. So I'm sure we're going to be covering a lot of it on the podcast. So I thought I'd best go and watch their first ever outing uh, between AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels. So the match starts out with uh, AJ Irish whipping Daniels into the rope. But Daniel immediately nails him with an arm drag. They pretty much had the same match at King of the Indies, but... But obviously this is their first one, so hey, let's let's just get right into it. They uh, immediately trade punches. Uh, then AJ hits an arm drag of his own. Both men collide with one another when they go for a crossbody. AJ works over Daniels, but Daniels battles back with a rock bottom, a standing rock bottom. Daniels nails AJ with a blue thunder bomb for a near fall early on. AJ battles back. Uh, with a kick and a drop kick to the chest, but Daniels works him over with some stomps and a net breaker for a two count. AJ does his uh, drop moonsole drop kick for a another two count. AJ continues to work over Daniels in the corner, but Daniels battles backs with punches and kicks of his own. Daniels then gives uh, AJ a Irish whip, but AJ counters and nails him with a lariat. Uh, Daniels rolls to the outside, but AJ goes up top and comes off with a shooting star pressed to the outside, and the crowd chant holy shit. Back in the ring, AJ covers Daniels for a two-count and the inverted jawbreaker by Daniels, but AJ follows it up with a flying forearm smash. Daniels goes back at AJ, but AJ catches him and goes for a sunset flip, but Daniels counters it into a pin attempt for a two-count, but AJ counters that. In one of his own for a two count. AJ then nails Daniels with a brain buster for a near fall. AJ heads up top and comes off. But Daniels catches him and power bombs him down to the mat. Both men are down, but get back up. Uh, down on the outside, but both men get back up at the eight count. Uh, AJ charges, sorry, Daniels charges AJ and knocks him down with a lariat. And a military press slam. Daniels then heads up top, 
nails AJ with the best moonsault ever for a near fall. Daniels then spikes AJ with an electric chair for another near fall. AJ counters a brain buster into a gut wrench back body drop. Daniels then cradles AJ for a two count and AJ counters one of his own into one of his own for a two count on Daniels. AJ signals that it's over and goes for a Styles Clash, but Daniels counters it with an angel's wing. But the heel manager, whose name was, God, it escapes me right here, Jeff G. Bailey, uh, clocks, uh, clocks down, uh, just distracts Daniels and the official. Daniels clocks the hill manager. Then AJ counters a, a sneak attack into a roll up for a near fall. Daniels works over AJ with some forearm smashes. Then hits the ropes, but uh, Bailey decks Daniels and AJ recovers, then scoops up Daniels into a Styles Clash for a free. Uh, this was their, did I mention this was their first ever mount, uh, encounter? Between AJ Styles, so again, it, you know, it's a pretty historic feud in wrestling. So for many reasons, that's why I kind of thought we had to cover it. You can see that AJ and Daniels have chemistry, so no wonder TNA would heavily feature the two in a feud once the promotion hits the Sports Network in 2004. Uh, this match and feud will span many different promotions going forward, and I'm sure that we'll be on hand to cover many more of their matches. As for the match itself, it was very good, which Obviously, it was very good. It's these two, with both men making their spots look crisp and effective. It's a bit odd seeing AJ play Hill, because everywhere else I've seen him up until this point in 2001, he's playing babyface, but for some reason, he's the Hill here. Uh, and then that, and, and Daniels as a face. Again, Daniels wasn't much of a face, even at this point, in many different promotions. So it's kind of refreshing to see them play opposite roles, but obviously, you know, they would sort that out later on. Uh, clearly, you know, AJ is the better babyface and Daniels is definitely the better heel. So it's just good to see the roles reversed, uh, really. But what about yourself, chaps? What did you think of this one? I, I definitely agree with you. It seems odd that AJ would be the heel here, although the one way the show ends it it does make slightly more sense i guess um but yeah they um i mean we on the uh, on the king of the indies show that may or may never see the light of day uh we, we covered a match between the two there which probably is more famous um in that uh it got seen by more people a lot quicker uh, but yeah, it's it's you can certainly see a lot of you know what their later matches were built built on with this match. It was yeah really well done. Um, another reason it was weird seeing AJ Styles uh, as the heel here was six months earlier he was featured on the undercard of WCW TV, which would make you think well he'd be a more recognised face considering Daniel's time on WWF TV. Uh, I was mostly under a gold mask, but hmm. I mean, it was, but yeah, it was a great showing from, from these guys. It was probably, out of the, yeah, as much as I've seen of this guy, it's probably the best one. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't really have much to say other than 
you know you you covered it all it's you know two great workers who we're going to come back to again and again as this project goes on uh, having their first ever encounter um and it just seems weird the alignments are switched from from the way that they traditionally be but yeah it's it was nice just to have a match like this after some of the matches so far have been a bit of a let down. Um, this one is pretty much everything it, you know, we were sort of hoping it would be. Yeah, I I agree. You, you see AJ versus Daniels on a card, and yeah, even this is you know this is their first encounter. Could have could have easily been there. Their tenth or or more, they seem sort of kind of natural working together. Um, yeah, really good match. Uh, both guys kind of definitely sort of looking the part already. Um, even so, yeah, say AJ haven't really seen him much as a heel up until this point, and Daniels usually is the heel. But again, even even with that change, I think they still looked looked natural in in those roles. Um, and yeah, just done a quick. Google and over the, over time they've had according to cage match 58 uh, one-on-one matches against one another um, I'm pretty sure all of them are worth watching if if there's some way of watching them um, some of them house shows so probably no way of watching those of course but just scrolling through the list and there's like 30 minute Ironman matches and things like that so uh, yeah plenty of plenty of time for us to watch plenty more brilliant matches with those two over the years but yeah what a decent a really good way to start off this long storied history between the two um yeah not much more you can say really um definitely go out and watch this one if you yeah as you say some of the matches may have been a bit sort of disappointing or not as we expected this this month but this one certainly lived up to the expectations i had Dan, how many? So I've I've watched four of the matches on this show. Billy's watched pretty much all of them. How many of the matches on this show have you seen? Just just so we can sort of compare notes. I I just got to see the yeah, the AJ match and uh, the the NWA title match. Okay. I uh, yeah, because I you know being the you know true Brit that I am, I, I watched the the Hammerlock guys. Uh, had their little tag match about halfway down the card. Um, I thought that was a brilliant showing from from our guys because uh, I don't know. I've Hammerlock. I don't know if we're if we're going to pick any up any Hammerlock matches just because the footage is so hard to get come by. But the, the four guys in this match um, put on a really good good shift. I mean, one of the guys there is Johnny Moss, who's currently working at the WWE. At the WWE Performance Center, you think you can sort of see why the, uh, you know, with the quality, with you know, this is the sort, if this is the sort of match he's he's putting out here. Um, obviously, Gary Steele, who uh, was also in that match, was two years earlier at this event. Uh, they gave the NWA title to, so they've got good stock. I I also watched the uh, Team IPW taking on NWA Florida, the the War Games match. Um, that was in the main event spot above the above the world title match. I guess it's pretty good I mean, there because 
setting I'd, up I'd question the why, cage but... and whatever. Well, setting up the cage and Team YPW, you know, it's their arena, so I guess they had some sway with that. Um, true, true. Yeah, so they tried. So he tried to do a war games match with one ring and 30 second intervals. It it did seem a bit. It did seem like they they didn't quite get the concept wrong. Um, because yeah, the cage in that look was so janky at one point the door fell off. <laughs> um, I mean. Which, which actually made the fit, which which played quite well into the finish because the finish was like was a no because it was a no contest and the finish after the, all the NWA Wildsides roster ran in to beat on uh, the IPW Hardcore and the NWA Florida crew so uh, I so spoiler for the next couple of months but I, IPW Hardcore are probably going to be mentioned a lot because I'm because they actually, the invasion um, of the NWA Wild Sides was done a lot better than any of the invasion over on the main show at the minute. Um, yes. I mean, it's almost as if they watched, you know, the last storm running that kicked off the WWF invasion. And were like, okay, so this is how not to do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm what, one of the matches I'm picking for next month um, does come off the back of this. Um, and it's uh, uh, it's going to be a good one. I'm, I'm going to start watching the Wild Side TVs just to sort of keep up on this, just to see where they go with this. Because it was, you know, considering the setup wasn't that great. Um, the execution was brilliant. The, the invasion stuff was brilliant. It's just a shame that the announcers on the IPW Hardcore TV um, had moments where they were trying to just crack little jokes about it. It's okay. It's a, this is a really well done angle. You guys are screwing it up. What's worse is one of the guys was there in the ring doing this and he was the guy who was bladed. Um, but yeah, like, like I said, this, this took this was on over the, the title match as the main event. But but you know what? We are not like that here on the show. We believe the title match should go on last. So uh, without further ado, let's let's move on to onto the NWA title because uh, this match um, it has an interest as we discussed in the news has an interesting fallout. So yeah, yeah. So Dan, if you want to uh, talk us through uh, through the NWA title match, yeah. Yeah, certainly. So, yeah, we've got NWA champion Steve Carino defending against uh, Shinjo Hashimoto. Um, and let's go through it. The match starts with um, Hashimoto looking to hit a quick roundhouse kick on Carino, but Carino uh, evades it. And then into a corner type with the bigger Hashimoto pushing Carino into the corner. Sorry. Sorry. That's my fault. Sorry. Carry on. <laughs> So, yeah, Hashimoto pushes Karina into the corner but offers a clean break. Side headlock by Hashimoto, but Karina elbows free into an armbar. Quick reversals by both until Hashimoto takes it to the mat with a leg lock, but Karina gets to the ropes quickly. Uh, knuckle lock, and once again, Hashimoto decides to give him the advantage as he powers Karina to the mat. Karina bridges to avoid the pin, 
but then headbutts by Hashimoto into the test and uh, that breaks the hold into yet another armbar. This time Hashimoto goes goes for the rope break. Not so clean break this time though, um, rather than just backing off, uh, Hashimoto hits a, a quick kick to the calf and re retreats. Green offers uh, another knuckle lock, but Hashimoto pushed him into the corner and hit some big chops, followed by a power slam and elbow drop 4-2. Armbar by Hashimoto takes Crino to the mat, but again Crino scrambles to the ropes. Crino now favouring the arm. Crino up and hits some chops of his own, but Hashimoto just absorbs them before knocking Crino down with a big chop to himself. Crino blocks a suplex attempt though and uh, hits a couple of suplexes of his own and gets a two count. Goes for a third suplex though, but this is blocked off. Carino then uh, takes Hashimoto down with, with his own armbar into a rear head lock, but Hashimoto just uses his size again and throws Carino off and escapes the hold. A forearm and running boot by Carino do little damage to Hashimoto, and the second boot is caught by Hashimoto, who then floors Carino with a big overhand chop. Karina gets up, but is soon straight back down following some uh, high kicks by Hashimoto. Uh, stomps and kicks on the floor. And they always send Karina to the outside, but he's just uh, onto the apron. Hashimoto then hits a DDT for two and goes, goes for a second DDT, but this time uh, Karina blocks it and drives Hashimoto into the corner and uh, Snaps him for his own version of the not-so-clean break. The two then trade chops and forearms in the centre of the ring, but once again, Hashimoto comes up on top, hitting uh, Carino in with a few kicks uh, to knee to send him to the mat. Hashimoto follows up with further kicks to Carino's chest as Carino's on his knees, and... Quino finally does get up, but it's met with another high kick to send him back down to the to the match. One side in terms of the trading of blows here, as you'd expect. Uh, a kick to Quino's head keeps him down, and another elbow drop. And either one of the, one of the kicks clearly connected much better than the rest, as Quino is now uh, busted open, and he rolls to the corner with the referee checking on him but Hashimoto uh, ignores the referee and chokes him with his boot and follows up with some punches to the head while Crino is still down in the corner as the referee tries to attend to Crino and see if he's okay to continue Hashimoto continues to ignore the official um, again pushing him to one side and continues with more strikes and uh, kicks and chokes in the corner at this point this is when the referee asks for the bell to be rang and Hashimoto grabs the belt. Carino sees Hashimoto with the belt and attacks him, but he's knocked down again with another kick and uh, more blows by Hashimoto. This then causes the locker room to, to empty to try and separate the two men. But at this point, the referee has then awarded the match to Hashimoto and Hashimoto is your new champion. But as we discussed in the news, that's not quite the case. Uh, and yeah, as, we, as I said there, yeah, that goes back to our new story at the opening of the show with 
Carino keeping hold of the belt, defending it a few times uh, over in England, but those defences and subsequent sort of uh, uh, not recognised by the NWA, including the title change to Gary Steele. And the, yeah, the title was vacated and is not um, then sort of defended or that match is not really settled for the next few weeks. Uh, your guys' thoughts on this match and the sort of sudden kind of sudden ending so yeah it was a bit controversial at the time like the sudden ending it was a lot of people believed it was um a shoot and um that they did the stoppage sort of get the title off carino and give it to hashimoto and um obviously the big schmores at the end, you know, with all the wrestlers coming out and making it so seem like Carino was legit pissed off because he was swearing quite a bit at Hashimoto and cursing the promoter because he was supposedly being screwed out the title. But for a few days afterwards, I'm, I do vaguely remember being on the internet at the time, not a lot of people were talking about it. We actually believed that it was legit, but then obviously the promoter come out and said, no, no, it's just a part of the storyline because they wanted to build to another Hashimoto and Carino match. As for the match itself, Hashimoto is considered like one of the greatest Japanese wrestlers of all time. He's certainly up there on the Mount Rushmore of Japanese pro wrestlers. Um, he... Unfortunately, he was a bit broken down at this point. He, he tried his absolute best, and so did Carino. And, the, you know, the whole angle afterwards was basically more interesting than the match itself. But, you know, good match here. Um, I wouldn't say go out your way to go and watch it, but if you wanted to learn a little bit more about it, there's certainly a lot that could be said about it. I know Carino went on about it quite a bit on his shoot interviews. If the promoter just kept quiet, they could have kept it going because they had seemed to have fooled the locker room at the time because uh, like Chris Daniels was on the show and he was good friends with Steve and he didn't tell him about it either. And then he had to tell him, obviously, yeah, it was all the work. It wasn't actually a shoot. Um, it was more. I would prefer to look at the story away from the match itself. But that, that match, can't knock it. Good stuff. They tried something different. It did get the internet talking quite a bit at the time. So good good for them. Yeah, the, the match was quite hearty. It wasn't like a particularly standout match, but it was something that... I mean, it was, you know, maybe it's just where I'm watching mostly stuff for the indie podcast but it was nice it wasn't nice change of pace just like well uh, there is there was that japanese element of it being quite legitimate which certainly helped uh put the finish over i completely understand why karina would be upset that uh the promoter of all people was the one who blew the who blew the angle because yeah the because um, yeah, the, there is um, a press release which uh, will be I'll be reading on the news next month with exactly what happened. But yeah, the, it was this was 
because on the night uh, Hashimoto was awarded the victory and the title um, but like I said in the news after that it was it was reversed um, but yeah you I mean Carino uh, the, the way he was just in the corner looking looking quite dazed it was it was quite believable that a referee would stop a match if if one of the participants looked like he did there um yeah it's 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 certainly interesting for historical context if if nothing else so dan you've been following carino as as champion this last sort of six months how do you feel about the way his reign ended here um it kind of ended in almost kind of typical old school nwa fashion really with him just being sort of kind of somewhat screwed out of it really i mean his run over the past sort of season that we've been watching hasn't been exactly most sort of stellar of runs but then we're talking about an nwa which is not exactly in the most sort of stellar positions really i guess it's kind of the, the title the title and the title matches sort of follow suit with how the promotion's going, really. Um, it's am I supposed to be right? losing the title to Tashmo? Um, yes and no. I mean, I didn't see sort of anything majorly wrong with Queen having the, the belt, but I mean, if they want to lose it, move away from him, and he probably wasn't exactly playing playing ball, then this is kind of where they have to do it. And then yeah, we'll see what in the next sort of couple of months when the nwa title has a new champion how that squad picks up and goes from there but um yeah i say i started the, the show the show with looking at what was going on in, with the nwa title before it lands in in nashville in june of next year but um yeah i mean i've been i kind of enjoyed watching i mean i i like steve green i think he's, he's decent in east so he's decent enough reason to watch just him alone but um yeah i can't say i'm overly surprised even though it's kind of not the way i would have liked the title to to move on yeah it, it does kind of feel like it's kind of left out there um but i mean with it's especially at the time it certainly gave people something to talk about about um which i mean the nwa at this point desperately need i believe the attendance of this show was something like 400 yeah well, maybe yeah, not exactly. even that uh, and these anniversary shows at the time that, that was a good draw for them um i mean can you imagine you know had, had this happened 10 15 years earlier and you're sort of saying to like rick flair oh yeah good draw tonight i've got 400 <laughs> out there. Can you imagine the look on his face? Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, exactly. I guess. Uh, I guess uh, at the uh, moment, it's a case of all pre- any press is good press for the NWA as long as they're being talked about. At least they, at least they feel relevant. Yeah. I, I, at this point, they're still reeling from uh, from the franchise dropping the belt seven years earlier. You know, I, I mean, you know, how how long does how long does it take to sort of get over a, 
over being dropped like that. I mean, you know, some would argue Steve Austin did a great job of turning around being sort of buried like that when he lost uh, the US title to Jim Duggan in 1992. But the NWA title hasn't uh, had the same sort of bounce back to it. Yeah, I guess guess the difference is Steve Austin had TV platforms to go and change his image around, whereas the NWA hadn't wasn't on was wasn't televised yes like well uh, before uh the Shane Douglas event I don't think it'd really been not seen on national tv at all for for a couple of years since it's all left WCW and then yeah but still at the point like the SA seven years later where well it was a brief run or flirtation with the WWF in '98, but even that, I think it was just the national belts. It wasn't it? Wasn't the the world title with Jeff Jarrett and the Technically, world title was there because you had Dan Severin come yes. out with all his belts and one of those True. would have been the WA title. But yeah, it wasn't really sort of featured too much at at, at the time, and um, yeah, and it's still sort of not really being televised. I mean, yeah, we're we're sort of seeing the the occasional match sort of once once a month but they're not sort of specific nwa shows that he just it's just being defended at whatever promotion sort of was willing to to book it at the time i guess barring well, this show here was it which yeah, is an nwa show well it's funny you say that because um i mean nwa wildside actually has a national tv show at this point um but even that that's not exactly breaking any ground i don't i mean uh, really, no, that's, okay. that seems your, more your area of the what NWA Wild TV, but would you agree that they're not um, really sort of gaining much traction locally with the national TV exposure? I, I would say locally in Atlanta, yeah, Wildside is uh, picking up steam, and on on the internet, it's getting a lot of buzz around this yeah. time because it, it is one of the better indie promotions that was being booked at the, at the, at the time, and that footage was. Is, is still much sought after um to this day so a lot of it is yeah kind of missing but hell you know um who knows with with, with the nwa like for instance like all the fallout from all of this the title would technically be vacant until like the tna era so why not put the nwa title in Wildside and uh give one of the guys that aren't necessarily a huge name, but a name to an internet audience at the time. Yeah. I mean, that. Yeah, I mean, for it to be featured on on that would wouldn't have been a bad thing because you know. I mean, if if you're saying it was getting good traction in Atlanta, at least that's not a bad place for the NWA title to great to be featured given you know the recent history history of how it ended up mostly mostly sort of being featured on the on Crockett's TV after he took over the the Atlanta territory you know so you're gonna have a base there um and so you know yes it does have somewhere to start because so I don't believe, because um, it's definitely not Wildside that that the rematch happens in. Uh, we'll, I mean, we'll 
the rematch gets announced. It'll be in the news next month where the rematch gets announced. But yeah, this definitely wasn't Atlanta. It was one of the lesser known territories. So it was an interesting, it was definitely an interesting choice. Um, yeah. But like I said, this is going to be a thread for the next couple of months until this gets tied up. So this is some. So we we are going to keep coming back to this. But yeah, on the, on that subject, I, th- I think unless anyone else has anything to say, I think uh, that's pretty much sort of wrapping up for this month. Uh, yeah, it, it, yeah, we've gone through our our matches. Um, definite variety this month again. Always good to see a, a, a mix of, of of sort of styles and varieties and, and match types and stuff. So yeah, good picks, guys. Um, but yeah, I think I think that that does it for for October. And yeah, we'll be back soon for November. Yeah. Yeah. So um. So before we uh before we call it a day, does anyone have any plugs they want to do? Uh, Dan, do you have any? Give any. Anything uh you want to sort of throw out there into the ether? Uh no no uh, nothing nothing for me um all to say just to 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 follow us of course uh. Uh, IndyRest20YRS, I believe the, the tag is on the Twitter. And to obviously listen to uh, the, the main show too. Uh, Mr. Billy Johnson? Yeah, obviously, um, if you really want to, you can follow me on the Twitter um, at underscore. Uh, no, Jesus, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Really messed up this podcast tonight. Um, it's at Billy underscore J83. You can follow me on that. And uh, you should also follow the main uh, Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast on the Twitter. And you should definitely follow our indie wrestling podcast 20 years ago on the Twitter. Uh, of course, um, you can also follow. Oh, so we've also got a Facebook page. Um, I I am trying to bring that back from the dead. Um, you know, posting stuff on there a few times a week, uh, be it obituaries, you know, what happened this day 20 years ago, or even just keeping updates about the shows. Uh, so you can, of course, follow that um, and like that on, on Facebook at Wrestling20YRS. Um, you know, like all the, all the socials we're on, wrestling 20 YRS. Um, just put that into Google, all that stuff comes up. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter, el underscore j. Uh, just I'm not on there that often, but when I am, it's 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 interesting. Um, or you can just like me on Facebook, el dot j dot comedy. Uh, at the minute, it's mostly me posting about the indie wrestling twenty years ago podcast and me posting random memes. But hey, sometimes you just need a little something something just to just to pick your day up so that's what i'm trying to be um it's been a been a long event eventful month uh we've covered as much of it as we could i think we can all agree it's certainly been emotional so to next time <laughs> goodbye <laughs>